Good morning, ACB, and welcome back to our July 8th, 2020 general session, ACB, A Pathway to the Future. Welcome to the 29th annual ACB Conference and Convention. I am so stoked and excited, folks. What a wonderful evening last night with that Easy Chair auction. You guys outdid yourself. That was so much fun. I just want to say to everybody who participated, thank you, thank you, thank you, and a special thanks to uh, all the auctioneers and to the auction committee. I also wanted to take the opportunity just to remind everybody that our primetime show this evening is Smart Homes, which will be sponsored by the Information Access Committee. You don't want to miss this. It's all about your smart appliances and how you can connect them. Everything from security to kitchen appliances to washers and dryers, audio description, and so much more. That'll be at 7.30 this evening. And I also want to remind everybody of the wonderful Transportation Forum, uh, Transportation Mobility Summit that will end today. So please look in your program for that. They're going to have their wonderful wrap-up this evening. And I also want to give a shout-out again to the Monthly Monetary Support Program. We're getting close to reaching our goal of 321. Everybody is doing great. We're over halfway there, so please keep pledging and giving to the monthly monetary support program. Again, that email address is askacbmms at gmail.com, which is askacbmms at gmail.com. And you can also call them at 202-743-0755. That's 202-743-0755. And Gene or George will answer the phone and they're happy to take your pledge. And now I would like to introduce to you a very special person, Mary Hott from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Louisiana. See, that's my Southern accent. <laughs> Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Uh, who will lead us in our invocation. Welcome, Mary. Thank you, Mr. President. It's truly an honor for me to be here with you today. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning with grateful hearts. Thank you for the many talented, dedicated people who have worked so hard to make our virtual ACB conference and convention a reality. We're pleased to have such a large number of participants Thank you for the amazing technology that is making it possible for all of us to be together, even during this COVID-19 pandemic. Father, please guide us in learning from each other as we attend the variety of sessions and activities that are available to us throughout this week. Give us the courage and perseverance we need to do whatever is required to improve the lives of people who are blind and visually impaired. Thank you in advance, Lord, for answering our prayers in the way you know is best. Amen. Thank you, Mary, for those inspirational words. Timers. Maria Masimic from Sterling Heights, Michigan, and Sarah Freeman Smith from Houston, Texas. Thank you, ladies. Pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you, Marissa and Sarah, for that wonderful pledge. 
and congratulations on being DKM first timers. I hope you're having a wonderful convention. We are so happy that you have taken that next step to become leaders inside of the American Council of the Blind. Next, we'd like to introduce our uh, convention sponsorships with presentations from Marjorie Beeman from Austin, Texas. Got to tell you a little bit today that we've got a special presentation. We're not only going to do our corporate presentations, but you all have been so generous. We have had almost 300 individuals who have sponsored our ACB 59th Annual Conference and Convention, A Pathway to the Future. And we want you to hear those names and give a big thank you. So now let me introduce Marjorie Beeman to read our corporate and individual sponsors. Thank you, Marjorie. Thanks, Mr. President. Good morning to all. Thanks to all our sponsors as follows. Diamond Sponsors, 25,000. Microsoft, Virtual ACB Educational Recreational Tours. Google, ACB Conference Banquet. J.P. Morgan Chase, Conference Communication Center. Band of Pharmaceutical, Convention Announcements. Emerald Sponsors, 15,000. Charter Communications, ACB Radio Afternoon Broadcast. Desparo, Virtual Information Technology Help Desk. Comcast, Virtual Information Desk. Ruby Sponsors, 10,000. AT&T, ACB Auction. Facebook, ACB Scholarship Mentoring Program. Regal Foundation, ACB Link. Health and Wellness, and ACB Walk. Adobe, Continuing Education Credit. Orcon, Conference Registration. Amazon, Audio Description Project. Verizon Media, Performing Arts Showcase. Verizon, Membership Monday and Transportation. Sprint Accessibility and Sprint Vision, T-Mobile. ACB podcast through December 2020. Our next sponsor, 5,000. National Industries for the Blind, NIB, Advocacy and Employment. Democracy Live, Incorporated. ACB governance policy and constitution and informational access. ARA, Video Presentation Consulting. Humanware, Convention Connect Sponsor, Macular Degeneration, ACB Walk, and Be My Eyes. Topaz Sponsor, 3000. Track Phone, Wireless Incorporated, official sponsor of all general sessions. Buell Fund, Recreation Zone, and ACB Walk. Pearl Sponsors, $1,000. Library Users of America, Lua, Talking Book Narrator, American Logistics Affiliate President's Seminar, Lainey Feingold and Linda Dadarian, Audio Description of Fourth of July Fireworks. Thanks to all of our sponsors. You have helped make our ACB virtual conference and convention a success. ACB Individual Sponsors. Thanks to the many individual sponsors, it's never too late to be a sponsor. Titanium sponsor, $500. Betsy Dome, RBC Wealth Management. 
Fred Sugard, Lucinda Talkington. Platinum sponsors, $250. Hard Cabanella, Denise Decker, Karen Gorgi, Tom L. Jones, Barbara Lombardi, Scott Marshall, Renee Zellickson. Gold sponsors, $100. Shane Aguilera, Colette Arvinson, Andy Arvidson, JoLynn Bailey Page, Chris Bell, Viola Benson, Karen Blackwaski, Karen Bose, Donna Brown, Barbara Brown, Tom Burgunder, Ray Campbell, Karen Campbell, Kimberly Carmichael, Jason Castaway, Kim Charleston, Ryan Charleston, Elnor Caldwell, Beth Corley, Gail Crossan, Virginia DeBlay, Janet Dickelman, Dan Dillon, Jay Doudner, Steve Dresser, Grady Ebert, Galen Floyd, Stephen Fort, Anne Foxworth, Tom Frank, Catherine Frederick, Michael Garrett, Peggy Garrett, John Glass, Susan Glass, Debbie Grubb, Mary Harvin, Debbie Hazelton, George Holliday, Donald Horn, Douglas Hunsinger, Christine Hunsinger, Douglas Ingram, Carol Jones, Vicki Kennedy, Maria Christick, Kathy Lamb, Alan Limley, Jean Mann, John McCann, Glenn McCulley, Harvey Miller, Charles Navaretti, National Capital Area Chapter, Rhonda Nelson, Nicolette Noyles, Alan Peterson, Mitchell Pomerantz, Donna Pomerantz, Edwin Rumsey, Carla Russell, Adam Russell, Claudia Schreiber, Sandra Sermons, Joel Schneider, Dan Spoon, Karen Spry, Sue Staley, Sharon Sosbluski, Joe Telefano, Miles Tamashiro, Gail Wilt, Linda Yaks, Vida Zavali. Silver sponsors, $50. Dave Adams, Barbara Appleby, Jessica Barr, Sean Barrett, Artis Bazin, Marjorie Beeman, Kevin Burkery, Philip Weifel, Rick Bogus, Betty Bogus, Elaine Boykin, Teresa Bazzelli, Ronald Brooks, Carolyn Burley, Olivia Chavez, Sarah Conrad, Barbara Connor, Charles Conran, Mary Ellen Conran, Norman Delkey, Christopher Devlin, Rita Delkey, Daryl Eaton, Paul Edwards, Marsha Farrow, Vicki Golightly, William Grinnan, Marin Huselrud, Cynthia Haraka, Karen Hughes, Jim Jarek, Richard Johnson, Carol Jones, Thomas Love, Michael Malver, Cheryl Migley, Rose Miller, Shirley Myers, Michael O'Brien, Norman Ota, Chris Prentice, 
Jay Rosmuncy, Gary Rawlings, Herbert Rito, Carl Richardson, Cheryl Richardson, Joyce Rogers, Harris Rosenwick, Myra Ross, Lori Scherf, Kenneth Simeon Sr., Patrick Sheehan, Jeff Tom, Leslie Tom, Joseph Tigler, Mary Welch, Sheila Young. Bronze sponsors, $25. Albert Anderson, Kathy Arnold, Relay Arrington Johnson, William Besler, Andrew Barcasso, Thomas Belson, Kathy Blackburn, Audley Blackburn, Susan Bowmaster, Julie Brantley, Ann Brash, Marie Bryant, Kathleen Bachman, Donna Browning, Melanie Brunson, Margaret Buckman Garcia, Michael Byington, Ann Byington, Earl Boyd, Leola Campbell, Lawrence Carter, Kathy Casey, Ann Chipapetta, Louise Tuna, Ferta Kibble, Jeremy Cogden, Natalie Couch, Patty Cox, Christy Crispin, Edward Crispin, Cheryl Cummins, Annie Davis, Debbie Deathrich, Margie Donovan, Brian Deflemeyer, Mike Duke, Kathleen Duke, Lucy Edmonds, Robin Frost, Kathleen Jard, Jeanette Gerard, Andrea Goodice, Mike Godino, David Goldstein, Albert Glutz, Constant Grimer, Marion Brynon, Robert Hackey, Cynthia Hawkins, Amanda Holly, Suzanne Howell, Marion Howell, John Huffman, Linda Hunt, Kathleen Kent, David Kingsbury, Jennifer Knight, Geraldine Coors, Donald Coors, Bill Copperman, Martin A. Kuhn, Jeanette Cooch, Cynthia Lebon, Pauline Lamontague, Sheena Lewis, Pamela Locke, Cheryl Locke, Brenda Logman, Junior Lozano, Jane Lund, Jean Marsili, Gary Messman, Shirley Messman, Pamela Metz, Michael Moran, Marcia Moses, Nancy Murray, Rose, Rosalind Nadler, Deanne Noriega, Larray Olson, Elizabeth Passanante, Carolyn Post, Douglas Powell, Donald Queen, Bruce Radke, Vicki Radcliffe, Penny Reader, Cheryl Roberts, Stephen Robertson, Bonnie Robertson, Debbie Rozier, Sandra Rocani, Richard Ruda, Debbie Sanders, Rachel Schroeder, Zora Schultz, Christine Shoemaker, Donna Seliger, Kathy Shelton, Alan Sherbitley, Patty Slaby, John Smith, Michael Smitherman, Allison Smitherman, Tammy Schneider, Leslie Spoon, 
Paula Sprigner, Candace Steffen, Mary Stores, Sheila Staron, Monica Sapa, Laura Tambawa, Deborah Trevino, Rhonda Trott, David Trott, Lee Tucker, Robert Turner, Patricia Tessing, Natalie Bogle, Vicki Bullock, Marna Bota, Patrick Bota, Mary Welch, Sue Wesley, Robert White, David Wild, Linda Williams, Luann Williams, Charlene Wells, Don Worth. That was absolutely fantastic, Marjorie. Thank you for that wonderful list of sponsors. Man, it just makes my heart sing to hear all those wonderful names. It was like a roll call of who's who's of ACB. Thank you all so much. And there have been a few people who have uh, uh, enrolled as individual sponsors uh, since Marjorie was able to put that together. So we will have an additional reading on Friday for the people who have joined over the last few days. So we're not if you didn't hear your name and you and you gave an individual sponsor, don't don't be worried. You'll we'll hear from you on Friday. And thank you, thank you, thank you, everybody. Now it's my pleasure to introduce our diamond sponsor presentation for today. It is from Comcast, a very valued sponsor with ACB, and I'd like to introduce Tom Lukowski, Vice President of Accessibility at Comcast from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Welcome, Tom. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, everybody. Thank you uh, for having us. And uh, while we all wish we were together in person, uh, Comcast is uh, very proud to sponsor the virtual convention. And I was uh, really fortunate to be part of the uh, primetime programming on Monday night, uh, the Audio Description Project Industry Panel. Um, And... uh, now here, and then tonight on the appliance panel that you mentioned. Um, so I'm a, quite amazed at uh, all the work that, that you guys have done to uh, pull off really an incredible uh, and very robust uh, virtual convention. So happy to be part of it. Um, you know, I uh, just wanted to spend a few minutes uh, talking uh, about some of the work that we've been doing over the past year, a uh, couple of new things coming up. Um, back in April, uh, Clark uh, hosted a Zoom a session and and did an interview with myself and Joel Moffat from Comcast. So some of this may be uh, a bit of a repeat for some, uh, but uh, hopefully there's a, a, a few nuggets of, of good information in here uh, for, for everybody. Um, and then, uh, so, you know, kind of starting out... Uh, Looking at uh, some of our video products, we've talked a lot about over the years uh, voice guidance, which is our X1 set-top box interface um, for people who are blind or visually impaired, Uh, our X1 voice remote where you can speak a command um, and you don't need to remember channel numbers anymore. You can just say watch NBC and and magically uh, X1 will tune to that channel you can mention show titles. You can even give it quotes from movies if you know of a quote. Uh, and um, we'll pull up that, that movie. Um, so uh, we've talked a lot about those things. We talked about some apps like our stream app uh, on iOS or Android, which basically 
uh, allows you to watch TV in your home uh, as though you were watching it on a regular TV, uh, especially if you're on the uh, Comcast network within your home. Um, you can watch live TV. Uh, you can, you know, schedule DVR recordings and watch our on-demand content. Of course, audio description is, is available. Uh, and, you know, outside the home with the stream app, you can download DVR recordings. You can watch some uh, live TV sh- uh, channels that, that we call TV on the go. Um, and so we've talked about a lot of those things and I want to talk about a couple of new things today um, and then uh, tell you about some partnerships that we're trying to go after. Uh, so in the video side of things, uh, the newest product that we have right now is called Flex. Flex is a set-top box that's available at no additional charge to uh, our Xfinity Internet customers. Flex is a little bit of, of a different product. You know, you traditionally think of us as where you would get your live TV, your on-demand, your DVR all in one box. And that's true with X1 um, and, and other uh, older products that we have. Flex really acknowledges the changing times in which we live uh, in more ways than one, of course. But on the entertainment side, you know, a lot of people are looking to consume content from streaming services. So Flex allows you to aggregate all those services in one box and watch all of them on the big screen. Uh, so you don't get live TV with this uh, uh, product, but you do get our vast amount of on-demand content. Uh, you know, you know, close to a hundred thousand titles, uh, if not more, um, and then some very premium streaming services like Netflix, Amazon Prime, uh, Hulu, uh, and YouTube TV, among others, uh, Zumo TV, and others. So think about uh, Flex as, you know, you press the input button on your remote once and you attach it to Flex and we're bringing all these services together. And if, you know, paying for a video product, uh, you know, is not of interest to you, uh, but you're taking internet service from us anyway uh, to get your email, to, you know, go online, wherever you e-commerce, et cetera. Uh, now Flex can uh, be that value add for you. So all of the great accessibility features that many of you are already using on X1 are available uh, with Flex. Uh, so if you want to know more information about Flex, you can call our dedicated support center for customers with disabilities uh, at 855-270-0379 or send an email to accessibility at comcast.com. Uh, the next big one is kind of looking at our internet experience. Um, so the internet actually is Comcast's uh, you know biggest product. You know, video. We've been around for years with video, and that still remains a high priority. But but the need to connect to the internet, especially now as we work and do online homeschooling and all sorts of other things that because of the pandemic we're now doing remotely. Uh, we all know and can appreciate the importance the internet has in our daily lives. Um, 
And so we've been spending a lot of time focusing on that internet experience um, and a lot of the products that we've put into the market that allow you to more easily uh, manage uh, your home network, including all of the devices that we're adding. Some interesting uh, data points just to prove out how the internet is really increasing. By 2022, the average home is expected to have 50 devices connected to the internet, up from 11 devices, which is the average today. So that includes phones, laptops, all sorts of uh, gadgets, your kitchen toaster, your smart appliances, that refrigerators, washer and dryers, a lot of those that Dan mentioned at the top of today's session uh, are all connected and they all are powered by the internet. And that means somebody's got to be able to manage all of that. And adding these devices, and in many cases, a lot of these devices don't have a keyboard. So how do you add them? You know, maybe they have an app. Uh, but how do you, you know, how do you know what's ask, accessing your network? So we've launched a product uh, called XFI, XFI, and XFI is a mobile app that you can get on iOS or Android. You can also navigate it through the web, uh, and uh, you can also access a lot of the XFI features through the voice remote on X1. Uh, and really what XFi allows you to do is, is set up and control your, your internet de- gateway device. So your modem, uh, if you, if you take, a, uh, a Comcast modem, you can manage it. And we're gonna, we're gonna extend XFi to, um, uh, other, other devices moving forward. Um, and then you can also, uh, you know, inc- improve your Wi-Fi coverage uh, through something we call XFi Pods, which, you know, if you have dead spots in your home, uh, we, we call it a mesh network. You can plug a pod into an electric outlet. And then um, using uh, our app, you can easily, with voiceover or talk back, um, you know, add these pods to your network, which will, you know, improve your uh, Wi-Fi coverage. Um, and then beyond that, navigate and control and manage all of these different devices that are coming into the network. You can set up profiles for, you know, kids or for others in the home who have specific, and you can attach devices that they use to their profile. Uh, if you have kids at home, you can control their time online. Uh, you can pause the internet during dinner. We have lots of commercials that show families at, at the dinner table and the internet is paused and, you know, basically kids are in shock because they're, their game isn't working or what have you. So they have to, you know, interact with other humans. Uh, so, so these are all sorts of things that, you know, a few years ago, we didn't have all of these challenges, but with the onset of technology as, as many opportunities that are created, uh, you know, we have to make sure that we can control the technology as well. And XFi is, is a great example of that. We'll talk more about that. If we even have time, maybe a little bit of a demo tonight uh, during the uh, appliance panel at 730. Again, the dedicated support center for con- uh, customers with disabilities is a great way to find out more information on X5. And then finally, I wanted to talk about what we're doing to kind of drive innovation in kind of a unique uh, way that we're trying to, you know, create awareness uh, around accessibility externally. So Comcast has an organization called Lift Labs. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a group that looks to the startup community to try and um, bring companies together uh, to drive innovation forward, uh, you know, for Comcast and, and elsewhere. Uh, we partnered with this organization uh, and we're looking to 
uh, and I actually have a project ongoing right now where we're recruiting startups that uh, are doing interesting things within the smart home, uh, you know, different types of notification type products, um, you know, aging in place, uh, different technologies that people are, are, uh, are using or are putting out into the market to enhance independence. Uh, and so what we're doing is uh, going to cr- uh, recruit startups and then uh, we'll screen them down and then ultimately uh, partner with one of these companies and launch a pilot service uh, in the next, uh, say, six to 12 months. Uh, so it's a way that we're trying to really let the startup community know about the importance of accessibility. Uh, of course, all of the large technology companies are, are focused on accessibility, as we know, or many of them, uh, of course. Um, but now with the with this startup uh, activity, we want to start pushing that awareness of accessibility to companies that are just starting out and really explain that you know when you build an inclusive and accessible experience, you actually make your product better for, for everyone else. Uh, so that's more to come on that. Stay tuned. Again, if you need more information on Comcast, the best way to do it is through our dedicated support center for customers with disabilities, 855-270-0379, seven days a week. And uh, you can also send an email to accessibility at comcast.com. And hope to see many of you tonight at the 7.30 panel. And again, thanks to... Eric Bridges, the ACB staff, and really everyone from ACB for your continued partnership. Uh, You really are a valued partner of ours and look forward to uh, working together in the coming year. So, Dan, I guess I'll toss it back to you. Thanks, Tom. And stay on for just a second because I have to share one story with Tom. And and what a wonderful presentation. And Comcast is just a fantastic partner of the American Council of the Blind. But I have to give you a shout out for your tenacity. You brought up the community chat that you and Josh did uh, here a few weeks ago. And if my memory serves me correct, it was that good old blind tenacity coming in there. You did that presentation in a power outage. Yes, I did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I uh, <laughs> lost power like two hours before we had to do the presentation, and I was uh, on, you know, bouncing between iPhones. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. Thank you, sir, and thanks for all you do for the blind and visually impaired community. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Dan. Appreciate we look forward it. to hearing from you this evening. Thanks. Enjoy the convention. Thank you. All right. Next, we are going to have a presentation our, uh, from our ACB Angels Tribute Program. Today, I'm honored to introduce uh, our uh, Tony Stevens, our development director from ACB, our ACB development director. He wants to talk a little bit ab- about our Angel Tribute Program and then introduce our Angel for today. So, Tony, take it away. Thanks so much, Mr. President. Good morning, everybody in our live audience on Zoom and as well, everybody listening in through all the various different ways on Facebook and via ACB Radio Mainstream. Hi, my name is Tony Stevens. I'm the Director of Development for the American Council of the Blind. And I wanted to share just a moment in in terms of before we have one angel today, Dick Seifert from from Arkansas. And we'll be hearing from Margaret Johnson, who put together a good memorial for him on the website. And and also we had a chance to have a nice conversation with her and her memories as being one of Dick's longest and best friends since kindergarten. And what I wanted to do, though, too, was just let folks know we've been Fortunately, you know, this is a different year in so many different ways of trying to um, share. And, and, you know, we oftentimes will have the memorial wall set up in the exhibition hall 
Uh, and it's something that can be a hands-on experience. And I know it's one of the things that's really missed this year is the fact that people can't get into the convention and literally put their hands on these plaques that we'll still be having made for all 10 of the angels that we have this year and people that we're remembering for the memorial wall. But I wanted to let folks know, though, that there's still a way to find out and, and to, to, in a sense, sort of, um, you know, be, be touched in that moment by who these people were and the legacies they lived. So in addition, I wanted to let folks know to what you're hearing this week during convention, you can also visit the ACB Memorial page for each of these angels. So each of the angels, by their photograph and the memorial, and there is still a chance for folks to contribute. Folks might not know this, but, you know, we're, we're very fortunate that this is a way for the legacy to live on uh, for people. Um, but folks can find other years of past angels. So if there's someone maybe you knew years ago and you wanted to go through and just and just sort of peruse through that and and find out about angels from this year, but also from all the years. And so those are available now and you can go to acb.org slash angel dash, no, a, a, sorry, acb.org slash acb-angel-memorial-tribute. And that's on our website, or you can just go to acb.org and search in the website angels, and you'll be able to go to that and read a lot of the great testimonials and things like that. And one of the things we're wanting to do as well as we move forward beyond convention is having more opportunities to have interviews and things like that with people that are more extended in nature and to have those shared on our Facebook. And, and you know, if it's linking through our Facebook and other ways for social media and our YouTube channel and via podcast and things like that. So that's, those are things that we're working on with the angels. And I just want to take a moment since we only have one angel today uh, to kind of step in that slot as well and share all that with everybody. But we're going to be hearing now about one great angel who was an incredible Braille advocate as well out of Arkansas who is Dick Seifert and, uh, you know, so uh, lots of good memories. And Margaret Johnson sharing that now. I'm Margaret Johnson from Paragould, Arkansas. And uh, I was a personal friend with Dick. He lived, he was from Charleston, Arkansas. But, you know, a lot of rural towns there, you go somewhere else to a hospital. But I know he was born in Charleston, Arkansas uh, on May 15th. 1948. The first time I ever saw Dick was um, when the kindergarten teacher brought him into the first grade classroom for him to recite uh, the Braille one cell uh, whole word uh, signs. Dick is the only person I've ever heard say that learning Braille was easy. It seemed like he had a photographic memory. I mean, just anything that I mean, you could ask him about a meeting. He could tell you who was there and what everybody said. He believed that everybody that had a degenerative eye condition and didn't have neuropathy should learn to read and write Braille. He said, if you, if, if all you're doing is read, using recordings for everything, you're not really literate because you don't know how things are spelled. You don't know about punctuation. Uh, you don't know what's in, and just all that kind of stuff that uh, you get straight off the page. And listening is not literacy. Listening is fine, and we use it. I use it, too. But sometimes you have to write down at least a name and an address and a phone number. He was in Braille Revival League, library users, and uh, he uh, he always wanted everything in Braille because uh, he had a, the kind of eye condition that you lose your hearing sometimes when you get, you know, in midlife. I, I'm an only child, and he was uh, like a brother that I never had. And we talked every day. 
uh, I, when I'd get back from Lions Club, I'd tell him what my Lions Club was doing, and he'd tell me what his Lions Club was doing. But he, uh, he really did believe in Braille. And he said, besides, you can watch TV and read Braille at the same time. <laughs> oh, Margaret, thank you so much for those wonderful remembrances of Dick. And we know he's in a wonderful place and, and it has a place in ACB on our angel's wall. Boy, this is a wonderful moment for us. I'd like to now introduce our officer of the day, our ACB secretary. That's ACB secretary for those who can speak properly. Denise Colley from Lacey, Washington. Good morning, Denise. Good morning, Dan. Can you all hear me? We hear you wonderfully. Great. I've got a big smile on my face. It's good to hear your voice. Thank you so much. Well, good morning, ACB. You know, I truly believe that I've got the best day of the week to be able to be the presiding officer because I get to introduce some really fun things. And first of all, this morning, um, one of the things that we always look forward to every year is our convention report. And to give us that convention report, I'd like to introduce to all of you the sweetheart of St. Paul, Minnesota and ACB, Ms. Janet Dickelman. Janet, go ahead. Oh, Denise, thank you for that nice introduction. I really appreciate it. You know, I love this chance to do my thank yous and update all of you on future conventions. So let's start with the thank yous. First of all, the I had four wonderful people doing telephone registrations this year. Kim Carmichael, Tracy George, Karen Spry, who did it for the first time and will probably never do it again. No, she did a great job. And Paula Weiss. And those, these ladies worked so hard, especially at the beginning of registration when we were saying that everyone needed to select each event that they wanted to attend to get a Zoom invitation. I took a lot of registrations too. And I knew it was, it was, it was work, but everybody did a great job and they were always emailing me. Do you have more? Do you have more? Thank you all ladies so much. Um, my convention committee, Marjorie, in spite of these really difficult economic times, you did a stellar job of bringing in sponsors to help ACB and accomplish our mission. Thank you so much. Sally Benjamin, she had such a great start on looking for volunteers for the Schaumburg area. So, Sally, keep your list for next year. Miss sitting at the desk with you. Uh, DJ McIntyre, who is going to be a new mama again. Congratulations to DJ. Had the hotel description for the hotel in 2020 for Schaumburg all completed. Thank you for all your hard work. And Rhonda Trott spent countless hours on setting up tours that unfortunately we couldn't take. But she, as always, did a wonderful job. Three of the committee really were able to continue working so hard in this virtual convention environment. Vicki Prahan, who, along with Karen, have been manning the information desk. And even though it's a virtual information desk, I know that those calls keep coming in and they're getting a lot of questions and they're just doing a remarkable job of keeping everybody attuned of what's going on. Um, and we also, before I forget, we do have a tech desk that have been so ably manned by Viola and Jeff. Thank you both for helping out with the, with the tech desk. Um, Michael Smitherman. Michael arranged all of these exhibitors 
worked so hard getting them all into into order, keeping track of all the exhibitors, and hopefully you've gotten to hear his beginning and closing and his analysis song as they always close out the exhibit hall. Thank you so much. And Rick Morin, I don't know what to say about Rick. He's been everywhere and keeping everything going with his editing. His, we had so much fun doing the convention, the roll call editing, getting all those recordings and editing that. All of his numerous spreadsheets. I think we're up to spreadsheet 700,223 for general sessions. I think we're at least. He's working in his garage with three, four computers. Just, just amazing. The, I, I have by far the best committee ever. And I love all of you so much. I hope you know that. Um, I'd like to do a shout out to the Illinois Host Committee, um, ably chaired by Rachel Schroeder. They were so disappointed that we weren't able to go to Schomburg and they had worked so hard um, to get a lot of the infrastructure in place. Thank you so much to all of you. The Minneapolis and Alexandria staffs, I just can't even say enough for everyone in those offices. They work so hard. And I have to shout out a special thank you to Nancy Becker, who is, she puts in so many hours. I mean, I'm talking to her 24-7, basically, and she's always available whenever I need her. Um, but this year, it was also a pleasure to work with some people that I'm not used to working with, which has really been, has really been great. Deb Cook-Lewis, I don't know how you did this, with coordinating all the Zoom sessions and getting all the Zoom invitations out for all the panelists and making sure all the Zoomers are, are Zooming. You have just been outstanding. Debbie Hazelton, in charge of getting all the recordings together, doing all the streaming. Um, Debbie, Jeff Bishop, Jason. I mean, you guys... This radio crew, ACB radio crew, it's amazing. I don't even know what to say about you guys. I've, I've really enjoyed working with you. And uh, finally, I'd like to thank ACB President Dan Spoon for his vision for this virtual convention. He had to get me in kicking and screaming. And, you know, as he always says, I had my night of crying over this and then got to work. But uh, thanks, Dan, for your ongoing support and even for his annoying weekly reminders on the countdown to how many days were left until the convention. I told him he was, he was doing this to drive me crazy. Um, anyway, now on to our path to the future for our future conventions. 2021, we will be in Phoenix, Arizona at the Hyatt, July 23rd to July 30th. And the room rate at the Hyatt is $95 a night. Um, in 2022, we will be in Omaha, Nebraska. Yes, Jim, we are coming to Omaha. And that will be Friday, July 1st through Friday, July 8th at um, the Hilton in Omaha. And the rate there is 96. And in 2023, probably the worst kept secret in the world, we're going back to Schaumburg to the Renaissance um, and Look forward to working with the host committee again and uh, Illinois host committee. And we will be there from June 30th to July 7th. And I'm really, I want to say this convention has been amazing. I'm so happy to have the new members, that new first time attendees at our convention that we've never had before. I miss seeing all of you in person and I look forward to seeing you again in 2020. 
one, but rest assured, we will certainly have a, you know, we're working on how we can keep virtual virtual attendees um, involved in our convention too. So stay tuned and thank you so much to everyone. I really appreciate all your support. Thank you, Janet. We really appreciate that. I was going to entertain questions, but I decided it was a little too hard questioning myself and getting questions in while I was um, doing my report. So if anyone does have questions of me, you can email me directly or you can send a question to question. Well, just email me directly. I think everyone knows my address. If you do not, it is Janet, J-A-N-E-T dot Dickelman, D-I-C-K-E-L-M-A-N at gmail.com. So if you have convention questions, please let me know. Thank you. Thanks, Denise. Thank you. As a lot of you probably know, the scholarship program is probably my greatest love. And so I'm excited to get to... um, introduce our scholarship winners for today. But to start that process, um, we have another special interest affiliate who also has a scholarship program and does scholarship presentations, and that's our Council of Citizens with Low Vision, CCLBI. They have um, three scholarships that they um, award each year, and um, I've had an opportunity to meet all three students, and they are absolutely awesome. So to introduce to you this year's CCLBI scholarships, I would like to introduce David Trott from Talladega, Alabama, who's chair of the CCLBI Scholarship Committee. David. Good morning. Uh, On behalf of CCLBI, we're excited today to be presenting our Fred Shigert Scholarships. And uh, we wanted to have Fred with you. Unfortunately, (laughs) we were unable to connect. So next year, we'll have Fred to talk to you a little bit about how he became involved in ACB, CCLBI, and how he began to present the scholarships, because these are three $3,000 scholarships that Fred funds every year, and we certainly appreciate his generosity and his love for ACB and CCLBI. So at this time, I'm going to turn it over to our subcommittee people who worked diligently and interviewed and made the decisions to elect the scholarship recipients that we have this year. We had a just a massive bunch of great candidates this year, and we're excited to present these three to you today. Hi, my name is Brian Petrates, and I chaired the graduate subcommittee for the CCLVI scholarship program. And I have the great honor and opportunity to introduce this year's winner, Amanda Brenton. Amanda is from St. Augustine, Florida, and is a graduate student uh, working on her PhD at the University of Florida. What's really unique and awesome about Amanda is that uh, she has instantly gotten involved with CCLVI, but also her work with the Peace Corps. Uh, prior to her starting her PhD program, she started uh, working with the Peace Corps, did some work in Central and South America, and is currently working on taking care of solid waste removal on Caribbean islands. So a really interesting story and an awesome winner for this year's CCLVI graduate scholarship. Amanda Britton. I would like to thank the people of ACB, 
and CCLVI for creating a platform for people with blindness and low vision around the country and around the world in order to have our voices unite for fighting for equal rights and opportunities. I would like to thank the people of CCLVI for all of their hard work and dedication and allowing myself to become involved in advocacy issues. We right now have started a children and youth support and outreach team where we are fighting for the rights of children and youth around the country to have equal access to opportunities no matter where they are living. I would also greatly like to thank Fred Scheiger, who annually provides a scholarship opportunity for students like myself to pursue our dreams and goals in higher education. I'm currently getting my doctorate degree specializing in solid waste management in the Caribbean. One reason why I've gone on to higher education is to allow myself to become a teacher. My passion for teaching always revolves around empowering my students. Reflecting back as to why I wanted to become a teacher and allow myself to be able to empower students and unite students comes from when I was a small child sitting in vision exam rooms. I often felt scared, alone, and frustrated. That was until I had an ophthalmologist by the name of Dr. John Coulter at the Spectrios Institute for Low Vision in Wheaton, Illinois, then it was called the Dyke Center for Low Vision, who always made me feel empowered, safe, and confident. It was because of him that I felt the ability to have a disability and not let it get in my way of pursuing my dreams. Therefore, this morning, I would like to thank CCLVI and eye physicians around the world and around the country who empower their patients. Thank you so much. Our next presenter for the undergraduate BS scholarship is committee member Marja Bowers. Hi, I'm Marja Byers from Salem, Oregon, and I'm a member of the Shigert Scholarship Undergraduate Committee. I have the pleasure of introducing Tyler Bampley from, Carol, from Carlsbad, California. She will be attending her second year at San Diego State University, where she is pursuing a degree in fine arts, majoring in film, television, and new media, with an emphasis on sound editing. Taylor's major was the first thing to catch my attention. It's not a very common pursuit of someone who has a visual impairment. We were also struck by her determination and her commitment to her community. In reflecting on her interview, I realized that because of Taylor's career path, she has the very real potential of becoming a voice and face of the blind vision impaired community in the future. I introduce you to Taylor Bantley. Hi, everyone. My name is Taylor Bantley, and I want to begin by thanking the team of people involved in this scholarship for investing in me and my future. I believe that even with a disability, anyone can find their passion and talent in life, and like me, it may involve finding it within your disability. While having low vision, I discovered I have impeccable hearing, which led me to find sound editing in films and TVs a couple years ago, and I fell in love with it since. The best advice I have is to never let anyone tell you that you can't do something because of your disability and find the ways you can through technology and other devices. Thank you again to the Scheigert Scholarship Foundation for helping me pursue my passion. Okay, here to present our freshman scholarship for CCLBI is our scholarship committee member and CCLBI member, Leslie Spoon. Thank you, David. Um, I would like to 
say thanks to Angel Lanier, my teammate, who is on the Fred Scheiger Freshman Selection Committee also. Our winner is Adam Rath, who lives in Savannah, Illinois, where he attended West Carroll High School. Adam will be attending Highland Community College and will be studying science with an emphasis on physics. Angela and I really enjoyed interviewing Adam, who is a down-to-earth young man and really involved in his community. Angela and I wish him much success on his, on his educational journey, and we really encourage him to get involved in the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International in the future. And now I would like to say a big thank and congratulations to Adam Rath. And here he is. So just thank you. I'm glad to be the winner. That Highland Community College is in Freeport, Illinois, which is, um, yeah, I say somewhat close, maybe 30 minutes away. So will you be living on campus or will you still be living at home? I'll be living at home and taking uh, the Carroll County Transit to and from Highland. Wonderful. That's exciting for you. And you'll be studying, you'll be studying science with your physics, correct? Yes, I will be. So how long will you be going to Highland Community and then you're going to go to another, another college, correct? Yeah, I'll be going for Highland for the two years, get the associate's degree, and then I'll be moving on to, I think, NIU. You, you've got your, your uh, future there, you know, ahead of you. So we, we wish you much success. Thank you. Well, you are sure welcome. And we hope to see you in the future. Stay involved with us. I sure will. Well, again, I just want to say thank you to David and um, Jim, you know, and the CCLVI committee and, and Fred, of course, you know, that does these scholarships. Also like to thank them too. Thank you, David and committee. This morning, we have the opportunity to meet our five Floyd Qualls Memorial Scholarship winners and to assist me in the presentation of those. Um, I got to present four of those, but one I didn't is um, committee member Don Coors. So now let us introduce to you our ACB Floyd Qualls Memorial Scholarship winners. Good morning, everyone. I'm Denise Colley, and I am chair of the ACB Scholarship Committee. Well, actually co-chair. And um, I have the privilege today to introduce you to some of our Floyd Qualls Memorial Scholarship winners. We have five of those, and you will be meeting three of those today. The first one is Megan Downing. Megan is from Santa Barbara, California. It's nice to get to talk to somebody out here in the West. And she, as I said, is getting the Floyd Falls Memorial Scholarship. Good morning, Megan. Good morning. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. So can you tell us a little bit about where you're attending school in the fall and what is your primary field of study? Yes, of course. Um, So I'm attending the Berklee College of Music in Boston. I'm really excited. I will be studying guitar and I'm planning on majoring in musical therapy. Musical therapy. I thought about doing that once. Yeah, it's a really, really interesting field. I'm I'm excited. What are you hoping to get to do with it? I definitely, I mean, everyone experiences like how emotions from music and um, at least for me personally, I find it like really healing and other people do as well. So basically you're helping people through music and I, I'm really excited to see how that works and make a difference in people's lives using like something I'm really passionate about with music. So yeah. And you kind of answered part of our second question. Why at this time have you chosen this field? And was there something in your past that led you to making the decision to go into music therapy? 
Yeah, I mean, growing up, I definitely, I found music at a really young age. And I started playing in some senior citizen homes. So I, I kind of was doing aspects of musical therapy without knowing that I could use that as like a potential career. So um, I definitely things in my past, I just found that music helped me a lot. And then when I found out that that was something I could do, I, I was really interested and passionate about it. And then having, I found out that my dream school had that as a major. I was like, it's perfect. This lines up perfectly. I'm really excited. Yeah. Why did you choose Berkeley? I've heard that's kind of a hard school to get into. Yeah, Berkeley, I, I always grew up wanting to go there. I It was always like, oh, Berkeley College of Music, this big, cool thing. I never really thought that I could like go there, get in. So when um, I definitely chose it for many reasons. I love Boston. I love that area. Um, they have an amazing program for the visually impaired musician. So that, that was definitely a selling point because it's the only school pretty much in the world that offers that kind of program for a blind individual. And what would you consider consider to be your greatest accomplishment in life? Well, I kind of just answered it in the other is <laughs> basically, I mean, getting into Berkeley, like I said, I, I remember touring it when I was in like eighth grade, which is kind of young to tour college, but it was, I always heard about it. And I was like, I, I went and toured it and I was like, this is such a dream, like just living in Boston, being around all these insane musicians who are talented and you can learn from people all over the world because it's a big international school. So I definitely getting the, the email that said, like, you're accepted in the Berkeley College of Music. Like I was crying. It was a huge moment. So I definitely think that getting into that school is, is my biggest accomplishment. Well, congratulations to you. And thank you for joining us this morning to share with our membership what you are doing. Uh, in your academic pursuits. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you to ACB. I'm really, really grateful for this scholarship. Now I'd like to introduce our second Floyd Qualls Memorial Scholarship winner. Her name is Maria Sanders. Maria is from Bartonville, Illinois. And as I said, she's getting a Floyd Qualls Scholarship. And welcome, Maria. Thank you. So our first question is, where will you be attending school in the fall, and what is your uh, primary field of study? So I'm going to be attending Bradley University, and I will be majoring in industrial engineering, possibly with a minor in quality engineering. Ah. Why at this time have you chosen uh, this particular field of study, and what in your past led you to make the decision to select it? So my primary reasoning for choosing industrial engineering is um, I joined FIRST Robotics two years ago and absolutely fell in love with it. And before I had known I wanted to take engineering as my major because I had taken a couple classes through my school and I had known a lot of engineers when I was younger and they had really rubbed off on me. But when I joined FIRST Robotics, I got to see and interact with some very, very high level engineers in a really cool environment enjoy like mechanical engineering was not going to be something I was interested in doing some research I- wow that that's a that's quite a, a feat that you're considered to be your greatest achievement in life and tell us why my greatest accomplishment as of is, is this past year I feel being a very active and helpful and possibly my marching band a very stand in front of the band, act as a role model for it. Along with that, I was a senior member in a vocal jazz group, a small all girls together with, and 
I was dubbed peers to be the chamber suite because that was that meant that they felt that they could come to me with any problems that they had and that I they figured I would know the answer, which I found to be fixed. I was able to take a leadership position on and teach some of the younger members the ropes for it. Okay, why I loved robotics and kind of thank you so much for taking your time to speak with us this afternoon. Thank you. Hello, Bishop Work Rehabilitation and Teacher Subcommittee of the Scholarship Committee. And the from the state of Florida with us. She's a winner of the Floyd. And Amanda, I have a couple questions to ask you. Uh, where will you be attending school? I am a doctoral candidate at the and I dissertation of study in education and special education. Okay. Why at this time have you chosen and what is your... Well, so I did not always want to be corporate. Uh, so I worked in a bank and I also worked for benefits. Really wasn't in those different career choices, what I wanted to when I grew up. So... I did go back for my master's in education, and, and I loved it. I loved it from the moment I started class. I knew that I'd made the right choice. So I, I taught elementary education. I've taught visually impaired students. And then I've also taught general. After about 14 years teaching, and I started looking for opportunities, and then that is when... I was recruited by the Department of Education program that they have at UCF for special education professors. So that's what led me to this. And now I'm hopefully going to have a greater impact on students by helping new teachers to be prepared to go into the field and start preparing students and helping them to become our next generation and our future leaders. What would you consider to be your greatest accomplishment in life? Looking back over my life, the accomplishments that I have had have not been single-handed. So I would say that one of the greatest accomplishments that I've had is the opportunity to learn through all of the opportunities and experiences that I've had. Uh, that does seem kind of a, a contrite answer, but it is true. One of the best parts about being in education isn't teaching others, but learning from others. And by teaching elementary and then moving on to the other areas that I've taught have allowed me to do the things that I've done. One of the greatest opportunities that I've had because of my students and because of the education that they've given me is to be able to go to Washington and advocate for them on the Hill in the Special Education Legislation Summit. That was an incredible opportunity. And working for my students to have better accessibility, better material, more technology, and to improve our education system as a whole has, that was a, a huge accomplishment. And secondly, 
uh, being able to go to UCF and hope to improve that post-secondary setting and opportunities for individuals with disabilities, that is a, a, a huge accomplishment as well. And I feel very blessed to have that opportunity. Not everybody has um, the opportunity to influence others. And, and I don't take that lightly. And it is because of the education and what I've learned from my students and the other educators that I've worked with that I'm able to do that. Well, thank you, and congratulations on winning the Floyd Qualls Memorial Scholarship, and best of luck for this coming year. Thank you, and I want to thank everyone at ACB. I have very much over the past few years enjoyed getting to know everybody, and it is a family environment where everyone is very positive and lifts everyone up and comes together in uh, such a supportive an encouraging way. And I feel very honored to have been chosen again to receive this award. And I look forward to a long uh, relationship and, and um, connection with ACB. So thank you. I'm now here with Veronica Hyatt. Veronica is from Fruitland Park, Florida, and she is a recipient of the Floyd Qualls Memorial Scholarship. And Hi, Veronica, and thank you for joining me. Hi. So can you tell us a little bit about um, where you're going to be going to school in the fall and what your major field of study is and why you chose that particular college? Yeah, sure. So I'm attending Florida State University, which is in Tallahassee, Florida, in the fall. And my field of study is going to be cellular molecular neuroscience. I'm thinking of minoring in childhood development. My goal is to either become a pediatric oncologist or go into pediatric occupational therapy. Oh, that sounds fascinating. How did you get interested in that field? And was there something, you know, in your background as you were growing up that kind of led you to um, this, these areas of interest? So I grew up and I went to a state school for the blind, um, which is Florida School for the Deaf and the Blind. And around me, there are always people with like different health issues and different forms of abilities and I found it really fascinating so I wanted to do a career that helped kids that had disabilities like the ones that I was raised around. Very interested very interesting wow and our final question is um, can you tell us what do you consider to be your greatest uh, the greatest um, you know the greatest challenge you've had to overcome and your greatest strength? I guess my greatest challenge I had to overcome is like accepting when it's okay to be different because I found that when you grow up with a visual impairment in a fa- like in a school district and family where visual impairments were hard to come by, you had to find out like what your actual abilities were and what you could be. And you had to realize that just because you had expectations of yourself, that doesn't mean you can't reach them just because I had a disability. It meant that I had to overcome them in a different way and find different routes to the goals I wanted to come to. And that I might not be able to do everything the exact same way, but I'm still able to accommodate and approach that goal. Great, great. Well, I wish you all the luck in the world in your endeavors. And uh, we look forward to talking to you later. And thanks for joining me. Thank you so much. Our next Floyd Qualls Memorial Scholarship goes to an actual returning scholarship winner, 
Edward Chaham is from Hartford, Connecticut. And as I said, he is receiving the Floyd Qualls Memorial Scholarship. And Edward, my first question for you is, where will you be attending school in the fall? And what is your primary field of study? Of course. Thank you, Denise. Uh, my primary <clears throat> field of study is supply chain management and accounting. And I will be attending Temple University in Philadelphia uh, in the fall. Why supply chain management? Um, and why at this time have you chosen this major? And has there been anything in your past that led you to making the decision about going into this field? Sure. Uh, so uh, years ago, I, I worked briefly for a logistics company. And I just, I really enjoyed getting products from point A to point B. I really enjoyed the, the, the project. It, it's, um, it's always interesting, dynamic. Things always come up. And it's a fast fast-paced environment. So it's something I, I truly enjoy. Great. And what would you consider to be your greatest accomplishment in life and why? Oh, that's, that's a tough one. Um, $50 million great, question. <laughs> <laughs> greatest accomplishment, I would say, I'm a avid collector of fragrances. I love uh, collecting colognes and I just recently collected my 100th bottle of cologne, um, which is a huge accomplishment for me because it, it, it has taken me close to five years. And it's, it's, a, it's a hobby that I am totally uh, fascinated with, and it's something that I truly, truly enjoy. Wow, that's fascinating. I'm going to have to talk to you some more about that. I love, I love collecting fragrances also, so we oh, have something in common. Yes. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking your time today to talk to us and share um, some about yourself for the ACB membership. And um, we look forward to talking to you again. Of course. Thank you so much for, for having me. And thank, thank you for you. listening. Well, those are our students for today. Um, actually, both Amanda Lannon and Edward Shaham are returning scholarship winners. And that's what makes this so much fun is you meet these students and then you get to know them and they come back the next year. And it's fun because you just pick up where you left off. Just before we take a break, I do want to say one quick thing about the um, scholarship winners. For those of you who are presidents of state affiliates, I do plan on sending you a list of the scholarship winners who reside in your particular state. I really want to encourage you to make contact with them. Uh, <clears throat> they will also have your contact information because we really are working hard to try and get them more involved, not only in state affiliates, but special interest affiliates. So you can be looking for my list. And now it is time for our break. And um, so you can get up oh, and get well, something to drink and we've got do a few, whatever. We've got a few more minutes, uh, Denise. Perhaps we can hear, have a couple of door prizes from Janet. Oh, because I had 10.30. Okay. Hey, Janet. Yeah, door prizes. All right, door prizes. I got, uh, this is a really cool door prize. And it was donated by the D.C., Washington, D.C., D.C., Council, District of Columbia, I should say, Council of the Blind. And it is a documentary that was produced by the Smithsonian, um, and it's called Black Wings. And it's all about the contributions of African-American pilots. And that is going to Paul Lewis from Florida. So that will be sent to you by uh, D.C., Council of the Blind. Um, 
I have $25 from Indiana Council of Blind, and that is going to Gilly Presley in Alabama. Yay, Gilly. Uh, let's see. I'll do it. Um, we have a um, ACB power bank that was donated by Bay State, and that is going to Edward Snively of Ohio. Shall I do one more? One more. That's All one right. More. We've got an ACB cap that was donated by the mini from the mini mall that was donated by Kentucky Council of the Blind, and that is going to Pam Washam of Oklahoma. There you go. All right. Sorry, guys. My my uh, watch was telling me something totally different. So I apologize. I'm glad we got the door prizes. We don't want anybody mutinying here because they don't get to do their door prizes. Again, we do still have a few minutes before break. So let's chat yeah. a little bit. Let's do it, Denise. Boy, I tell you, I first of all, I think Leslie would really be excited if I would take on Edward's, uh, you know, uh, passion of uh, Ooh, different yeah. fragrances. I'm, I'm, I'm right now 100 uh, fragrances behind him, so I've got a long <laughs> way to go. You got to catch up. <laughs> I got to do a lot of catching up. That and I thought it was really interesting. We had Amanda Lannon from Orlando, who's going to. Uh, who's going to UCF, a uh, Florida school. And then we had Veronica, who's going to Florida State in Tallahassee. And then Amanda Britton from the CCLVI scholarships that's in Gainesville as a Florida Gator. So we got quite a rivalry going there in Florida between our scholarship winners. Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> Florida you, is a popular state and popular yeah, schools. It is. It is. Hey, uh, can you tell us just a little bit about the scholarship process and how you go through applying? And I think for the first time this year, you all kind of uh, started doing much more of this online, right? So how, how, did, uh, how did that whole process work for the scholarship committee this year? We did. And how the process works is that um, <clears throat> the 1st of November, our scholarship applications go up on our ACB website. And um, we are, uh, one of the things that we do in our application process is ask them questions about um, their community involvement, um, their school involvement, their leadership roles within the community and within their school. Uh, we look at, do they have any advocacy experience? Um, have they had to advocate for themselves? How did they do that? Uh, we look at um, other kinds of activities they're involved in. Um, you know, the more they can tell us about those things, the more we um, look at their applications. Um, you have to be a student with a 3.0 or above grade point average. And one of the things we did this year, as I um, said in my presentation on uh, Tuesday, is that our, uh, we, we, in the past, we divided our scholarship winners into the four categories, um, vocational, um, uh, fresh, entering freshman, undergraduate, and graduate students. And we felt like that didn't really express what we were looking for with these students. And we thought we would find a way to make them make the scholarships more uh, related to the programs that they were going into. And so this year, that is why we changed our scholarship structure into um, state and special 
you know, state scholarships, um, uh, social work, teaching and rehab, um, accounting, and then science and engineering and math. And this year, the scholarship application, once it was put up on the website, the scholarship committee was able to start looking at and scoring the scholarship winners immediately because uh, we put the whole process online. And instead of getting all this paperwork or this um, SD card that had all this information about grade transcripts and applications and letters of reference and all of that kind of stuff, uh, we were able to look at all of those things online. And one of the other things we do look at, <clears throat> excuse me, is letters of reference. So we were able to put this all online. It sped up the process of evaluating the scholarship winners. Uh, we give them a score um, from 1 to 30 uh, in the three major categories that we look at. So 1 to 10 in each of those categories. And that's how we come up with our scores. And then the, the each subcommittee then takes a look at the scholarship winners in their area, they determine who they're going to interview based on their scores. Um, they do those interviews, and then they make the selections of the winter winner and alternate in each one of the scholarship categories that we have. And that is basically how we do our scholarship selection. Um, the applications come down the end of February and... Um, and we have that process to that time to look at and score and um, select our scholarship winners. That's fantastic. Wasn't it exciting this year to see the partnership with AFB, the American Foundation for the Blind? It was. And, you know, it's very cool because when we were um, contacted about doing this, we thought, what an awesome opportunity. And in looking at, I mean, one of the first things that, one of the first questions that I know probably would come up was, well, <clears throat> you had so many more scholarship winners than you had additional costs. Well, we really didn't because we were able to take the AFE scholarship scholarships and look at how they related to the scholarships that we currently present. And so many of them um, really did fit into uh, and were closely related to the actual scholarships that we presented that we, although we had more scholarship winners, we didn't have additional costs in trying to bring them to convention or anything because they were, um, uh, because of the com combining that we did uh, with the scholarships. And we are very excited because while we believe that coming to convention is a whole part of that process. And it's really important that we get them to convention. They get to experience the exhibit hall. They get to experience our general sessions. They get to experience our uh, special interest affiliate programs. Uh, they get to meet people. They get to find mentors. Um, but all of this is really important. So we are next year inviting each one of these students to return, to come back to our convention in Phoenix at our expense to be able to experience, have that experience. So um, it's going to be really exciting because they will return. And even if they're not receiving a scholarship next year, we are bringing them back so that they get that convention experience. 
Oh, that's going to be fantastic. So we're going to have one heck of a crowd of scholarship winners we next are. year, aren't we, in we Phoenix? We are. <laughs> I, and I tell you, I had an opportunity to participate in both the banquet on Friday night and the uh, rece- member reception on Saturday. And what an amazing group of young people, and, and not all young, a lot of several people going back for a second career. Yes. And I was just yes. so amazed at the individual advocacy and how hard they worked. And it was kind of cool just to see the synergies there. I know Nick has already reached out to Cindy Hollis, our membership services coordinator, to put together a community chat for the STEM people, you know, trying to find more people that like science and technology, engineering and math. That's so cool. It really is. And, and that's why, you know, I would, I would really say to everybody, um, come to the scholarship reception. Um, you know, people. I know everybody's schedules are really busy every year, and we have all kinds of things, other things that we need to do. But that is why coming to the scholarship reception each year is so important, because that's where you get to sit down and have one-on-one, face-to-face chats with these remarkable students. And that's when you really get to find out who they are and what they're doing. And they are doing amazing things that you wouldn't even think about I think back when I was a student and I didn't do half the things these students are doing now and I didn't attempt half the things. And so it's really amazing to get to talk to them one-on-one. So I really invite you next year to come to the reception because uh, it's, a, it's a valuable way to get to know them a little better. I agree. I mean, I left <laughs> with just a huge smile on my face and felt like the, the future of the blind and visually impaired community is in good hands because this next generation and they had a kind of had a social get together with the students mm-hmm. and the next generation affiliate. And I mean, they were stoked and they were charged and it was, uh, I know they're already exchanging emails and getting on Facebook and getting to know each other better. I, I challenged them by the end of the convention. I want them to write me and let me know at least one new friend they met by coming to the ACB conference and convention. Right. I was really disappointed I missed it because I was on an airplane at the time. Uh-oh, so I well, didn't we, get to participate, but I'll be anxious to hear it. because We, uh, we, we missed you, and uh, you. I think it's getting close to break. I just want to say one more time, uh, remember, we're really appreciating all the help everybody's giving us through the monthly monetary support program. You can reach out and make a pledge today to help ACB. You can do it two ways, either by an email at askacbmms at gmail.com. That's A-S-K-A-C-B-M-M-S at gmail.com. Or you can call. They're on the phones. Gene and George are waiting to hear from you. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a telethon and uh, they're ready to take your call at 202-743-0755. That's 202-743-0755. And Denise, I'll turn it back over to you to take us to break. So we are now at time of break. Now that my watch is doing what it's supposed to. And so we will um, return at uh, 1145. And uh, I want to say to everybody, be sure you come back because our next presenter is somebody that absolutely was one of my favorite people in the whole world 
and probably yours too. And I know it's a favorite segment um, on the agenda every year, and that's to hear from our talking book narrator. So please be back at 1145. Okay, and Debbie Hazelton here with you. Uh, we're going to hear from one of our sponsors who has been sponsoring our Convention Connect show and who's going to give us a program this evening on the Victor Stream, that being humanware, and then some other spots of things coming up uh, today and uh, maybe tomorrow. Thanks so much for being here. Hi, everybody. This is Peter Tusick from Humanware. I am very, very glad to be back on ACB Radio. Humanware is glad to be a sponsor of this year's convention. We're thrilled to be here. We know it's a little different. Uh, it's definitely virtual, so maybe you're on your deck or in your bedroom, or maybe you're sitting on your sofa. I hope you're enjoying and will enjoy the convention. Um, we're very glad to be here again, and I appreciate the opportunity to tell you what is new and what we are up to at Humanware. Uh, some of you may have heard that we have launched an application for all of our products. Uh, it's a way for everybody to really soak up all of our written as well as video sorts of tutorials, how-to guides. All of that information can be found on the HW Buddy application, and that is available on both iOS and Android. It is free, and when you do download it, you will be asked to provide an email address and password so that you can create an account. The reason for the account is we're looking at creating um, kind of a second level of this where we will be able to help trainers or maybe even help you know users track their progress or kind of pay attention to what it is that they've worked with and, and maybe some goals or where they need to be going. So looking at a kind of a dashboard there. So you will be asked for an email address and password to create a quick account. We are thrilled to have this application. It's broken down by product. So if you click on the How To's tab or you double tap that, you will be presented with your various products that we we offer, um, such as the BrailleNote Touch Plus or the low vision products such as the Prodigy Connect 12. Um, and you can then go in and, and by topic, it's bro broken down in terms of what it is you want to look at. So maybe if you're on BrailleNote Touch Plus, you might be interested in word processor. And then within there, you may have many things to choose from, such as saving a document or how to spell check, or maybe I chose email and I want to know how to send and, you know, or, or forward a message. Um, you can also search for content. So there is a search area under the home tab that will let you search for, let's say the word spell check. Um, and where can I find spell check? And so I don't have to go swimming through the application. So we're very excited to have all of our resources in one spot, giving uh, all of our users and instructors who are training new users the ability to work with and learn about our products in full and not have to swim through websites and user guides because everybody uh, you know, doesn't want to get lost and we don't want to confuse anyone. So all of our written content and there's a videos tab as well that has all of our instructional videos, webinars, everything there as well. So very excited for the HW Buddy application. Switching gears, I want to talk about Braille and what's going on with the BrailleNote Touch Plus. We 
uh, have released an update to the BrailleNote Touch Plus through the magic of digital delay. By the time you hear this, the update will be out. Um, this update came out in the middle of June, and it contains three pieces. The first and biggest piece is the full scientific calculator with the implementation of Nemeth code and UEB math. So we're able to work in either Braille math code um, as well as some others. And I did create snapshot tutorial videos on, on how to use the calculator. Again, you can find those in the HW Buddy app, uh, or you can certainly find them on our website, www.humanware.com under the support section. Um, you can certainly find them there, but the calculator uh, is fully scientific, so maybe you've been, just been dying to know what the cubed root of 8 is, or maybe you want to know what 34 factorial is, right? And you can braille that in Nemeth code and scientifically calculate away. Um, and I demonstrated how to use that, those features as well in terms of the symbol selector and what is doable um, in a snapshot tutorial video. Still uh, on the BrailleNote side, we've introduced one-handed mode to the BrailleNote Touch Plus. This is going to give anybody you know who may not have the full use of both hands uh, full access to the product. So we're very glad to have brought that in. It was on the BrailleNote Touch, the original BrailleNote Touch. It's been on the, the Classic and the Empower and all of our BrailleNotes. So we're very glad to have to have brought this to the BrailleNote Touch Plus for our one-handed friends. So it, or somebody who might not have the use of both hands um, certainly is there and able to be used. Uh, the other piece is we have introduced learning tables. So in Duxbury. For those of you who use Duxbury, you, you may have seen that learning tables are part of the Duxbury Braille Translator. We are using those tables on the BrailleNote Touch Plus. So if you are in between, somewhere in between contracted and uncontracted Braille, you can follow various Braille curricula, right, in terms of maybe I'm using the TSBVI method to learn Braille, or the Mangold method, or uh, the UEB takeoff series. Uh, and I can use one of those braille tables which will correspond to um, you know the various lesson that I might be on in the series so that the braille that I'm reading and and kind of working with is not all contracted or all uncontracted and there is information about that on our website um, there are snapshot tutorial videos on how to change your profile as well and information in the humanware buddy application in terms of what lessons equate to what contractions and really that is for our friends who are learning braille um, that is who is going to use those learning tables they're they're meant to correspond with somebody who is growing into their device and, and learning braille a couple of other pieces. I'm going to switch gears a little bit to our Victor side of things. So on the Victor Reader side, we are bringing new maps to the Victor Reader track. We are switching our map provider to Here Maps. We had a lot of feedback that you know our maps were were needing to be improved upon. We were very fortunate enough to have now agreement with Here Maps to bring new maps to the device. They will be out at some point this summer. I have tested them and they are fantastic. So Here Maps are uh, used in autonomous vehicles, which is, uh, as a blind person, my dream, right? Someday. Uh, but in, And I know ACB's been doing a lot in that regard, so we're glad to be working with Here Maps um, and, and we're really looking forward to bringing those into the device. In addition to map browsing mode, so the ability for us 
to virtually place ourselves at a location and walk around, get our intersection types, turn and walk down a street you've never been on without actually needing to walk down it, hearing what streets you're you're crossing, looking at points of interest, and so on. Um, I've demonstrated this on various webinars, and I will be certainly featuring this on our session at uh, ACB session on the uh, Victor Reader products. So please tune in for that. Uh, I will also be doing a Braille session as well to talk about what's new and, and what's going on. In terms of the low vision side of things, we just did have an update to the uh, Prodigy Connect 12 as well as the Reveal 16i. Again, the Reveal 16i would be a desktop magnification solution that is foldable. Um, and the Prodigy Connect 12 is more of that portable distance and near magnification solution. We brought in the ability to read Bookshare books in full page mode, as well as some other features with Wi-Fi, um, importing and exporting content to and from thumb drives, being able to more easily, you know, different views, so being able to search for native Android apps while in Prodigy. Um, there have been lots of improvements there, so we're still updating and, and are going to continue to update the Low Vision products, and we still have the Explore 5 and Explore 8 handheld portable magnifiers as well. So just wanted to give everyone an update of what is new, what is going on at HumanWare. Very much appreciate the opportunity to be on ACB Radio and to join all of you wherever you may be. We hope you have a wonderful convention. We hope you're enjoying your summer, and we very much look forward to seeing everyone in person very soon. Thanks, everybody. ACB has given us a virtual path to the future. Now the Victor Reader Trek gives us the ability to virtually take any path we want. Learn about the new virtual maps that let you go anywhere without leaving your chair. We'll also have some tips and tricks for getting the most out of all the functions of this multifaceted device. Join us Wednesday, July 8th from 6 till 7.15 p.m. Eastern on ACB Radio or Zoom and discover all of the features of the Victor Reader Trek from HumanWare. The Sparrow, the world's leading producer of accessible technology for the visually impaired, takes you on their path to the future on Friday, July 9th at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. You'll get the chance to talk with representatives from the company on exciting new features and exciting upgrades to their already existing line of innovative tech products. But before that, set your DeLorean time machine one day back to Thursday, July 8th, and join us at the ACB General Session on Thursday morning for Vespero's keynote presentation. Join us for the virtual ACB Annual Convention from July 3rd through July 10th on ACB Radio and on Zoom. Stardate Wednesday, July 8th, 3 p.m. to 5.45 p.m. Eastern Time. Transportation Forum Log. Time to wrap up these discussions about transportation and help our Starfleet uh, ACB colleagues come up with a transportation advocacy plan get some local groups involved, and get rid of evil from our galaxy. Okay, I forgot to renew my blasters permit, but that doesn't mean this workshop will still be great, and there'll be lots of great things talked about. To mobility and beyond, this is Starfleet Command, over and out. Sister power. Yeah, you got it. 
It's time again for Sister Power with ACB Women. When? Wednesday, July 8th from 1.30 to 2.45 p.m. Eastern. Who? Rachel Schroeder and Carla Hayes. Two ladies whose names and voices you've likely heard as active members of ACB. Now hear more about their lives and how they empower others. Sister Power. Join ACB Women and share yours. Join the American Council of Blind Alliance at this year's ACB Virtual Conference and Convention. Come to Millie's Place Wednesday, July 8th at 6 p.m. Eastern for Lions Serve the Community. Your local Lions Club may buy glasses or collect new glasses to help those in need, but other clubs also participate in a wide variety of other service projects. Lions from across the country will share their local club activities and how they, as members who are blind or visually impaired, participate in those activities. Learn how to get involved in local clubs club, how clubs can support ACB affiliate or chapter activities, and how ACB Lions provide peer support to help you along the way. All Lions, friends of Lions, and anyone interested in becoming a Lion, welcome. Register for ACB Lions for just $10 for your chance at winning our door prizes. Prizes will be drawn after the conclusion of this year's conference and convention. To register, go to acbconvention.org. Join us live on Zoom or listen on ACB Radio. ACB Lions, the affiliate that roars. On Monday, July 6th at 1.30, Library Users of America will hold its first session. Karen Kenninger, Director of the National Library Service, will be there for a more extended discussion of the issues she raised during the general session and to answer your questions. At 3 o'clock, in One Book, One ACB, we will be discussing the book Flying Blind by Lou Brigante, B-R-I-G-A-N-T-E. Read it on Bard in advance if you can. On Wednesday, May 8th, Erin Jones will tell us more about her life as a talking book narrator at 1.30. And at 3 o'clock, we will look at the exciting new features in BARD and BARD Express from the National Library Service. You'll join us for all our sessions, won't you? Join the American Council of Blind Lions for the 2020 Virtual Conference and Convention of the American Council of the Blind. On Wednesday, July 8th at 4.30 p.m. Eastern, ACBL presents Lessons in Leadership and the Work of Lions Clubs International. Lion Shay Nickel, who was elected to serve as an international director of LCI in Milan, Italy in January of 2019, is a member of the Paducah, Kentucky Lions Club, past president of the Kentucky Lions Eye Foundation, and a justice on on the Kentucky Supreme Court. Follow Lion Shea as he travels the path from local club member to international director and learn about the initiatives of Lions Clubs International. Register for ACB Lions for just $10 for your chance at winning our door prizes. Prizes will be drawn after the conclusion of this year's conference and convention. To register, go to acbconvention.org. Join us live on Zoom or listen on ACB Radio. ACB Lions, the affiliate that roars. Hi, I'm Kenneth Simeon Sr. Grab your favorite refreshments and spend an evening with the 2020 class of DKM first-timers and ACB J.P. Morgan Chase Leadership Fellows. Enjoy moments in history, honor ACB's founding father, Derwood K. McDaniel, and win great door prizes. It all happens at the DKM first-timers reception on Wednesday, July 8th at 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern. We're glad you've joined us for the 2020 Convention of the American Council of the Blind. And we're back. Okay, take it away, Rick and everyone. Welcome back, everybody. 
And now I have the privilege of introducing <clears throat> probably my favorite talking book narrator. And I suspect a lot of you could say the same thing. Um, the books that she's read have been fun to read. And um, I just love listening to her voice. And actually, I really love her title. I think it's great. You say potato, I say whatever NLS tells me to say. Please help me welcome from the American Printing House for the Blind in Louisville, Kentucky, Erin Jones. Erin, you're on. Hello. Hello. Thank you, Denise. And I thank all of you for being here, there, and everywhere. <laughs> I'd like to thank Janet and Kim for still including me when it became apparent that convention would be virtual. I am selfishly disappointed that this is not in person. As long as we've been doing this, it sometimes seems that we read books in a vacuum because we don't actually, you know, see the person choose the book and decide to pick up, you know, one of the books that we've recorded. So it seems sometimes that we put the work and care and precision into narrating a book and then it just floats away. Maybe never to be heard by anyone. <laughs> but the few times I have been able to go to conventions and meet people are like a big hug, and those are sorely, sorely missed these days. I called my presentation, You Say Potato, I Say Whatever NLS Tells Me I Can Say, because correct pronunciation and changing accepted sources is what I have been schooled in as an audiobook narrator. The words are the building blocks of what we do. And the part of the work, hopefully, you as the reader rarely have to think about. I mean, in terms of the the preparation and the background and making sure we get it right. I cringe to think of my early work. I struggled by the syllable in the pronunciation of foreign words. And if I didn't have the help of our editors, I would be completely lost back then. It's kind of, um, it's painful to think how green I was and how much I didn't know. At APH, the editors do the heavy lifting and, to mind our P's and Q's, have pronunciations written out and sourced. But we as narrators have access to all their work, which is a blessing. I have always spent a lot of time with the book before getting in the studio and would write in pronunciations so I didn't have to stop and look to the side for cues, effectively ignoring my mother's rule against defacing books. I had scribbles and cat scratches all over my pages on books that require it. Today, with Rolling with the Changes, we are mostly recording ebooks, so no more cat scratches. Lots of changes. When I started recording, we were recording on reel-to-reel -reel tape. Corrections would take more than twice as long as they do now. And yes, in emergencies, the tape could be spliced with a piece of scotch tape. I feel so old suddenly. <laughs> Before I really get into it, I want to say unequivocally how very, very proud I am to be an NLS narrator and how proud to be working with APH, a company with such a long history with talking books. I would also like to thank publicly the many hardworking and unsung editors and proofreaders at APH who have always helped me put my best foot forward. I always felt like an intellectual lightweight compared to them. They were my education. Their research, preparation, and guidance 
not to mention the great variety of experience and expertise each of them has brought to the work, have helped me navigate the many varied and changing, wonderful, colorful hoops we have to navigate as representatives of the National Library Service. Very high standards, and rightly so. A curious but understandable rite of passage in the early career of any NLS narrator is what I affectionately call word snob. <laughs> you find yourself in non-narrator company wanting to correct people's pronunciation. You learn quickly to bite your tongue when you want to say, you can't say it that way, or I don't care if you heard a news anchor say it that way, it's not correct. I went through it for a teeny tiny bit, but I wanted to keep my friends and family. Besides, I love variations in speech as I love variations in people. Language is liquid. Our language expression is shaped by geography, by family and friends, and education and work. I get a kick out of how people express themselves, how their language can be so different from mine. I like a wordsmith, somebody who uses words really well, and, and poets, and people who just have us like words and like to use varied words. But my personal preference is someone who needs few words to communicate their meaning. I also like an unknowing or intentional Mr. or Mrs. Malaprop, just for kicks. I was driving to the Keys once with a friend, and she waved her arm out the window and said, look at all those tiny, uninhibited islands. <laughs> I just smiled. <laughs> I had a dear friend much older than me, and he only had a 10th grade education. He would do things like confuse the words immigration and integration. But I wouldn't correct him because I knew what he meant. Besides, he was sensitive about his derailed education. His life shaped his language. He was a craps player and a mechanic, so his language was peppered with boxcars, snake eyes, Yo Levin, and automotive metaphors. He got so mad that his nephew and the younger crowd called him OG, as in old gangsta. I told him it was an honorific. He said, a what? They calling me old. I was youngish when I started. Notice I said youngish when I started at APH. It seems young now anyway. I had a lot of book learning to do even though I already had a bachelor's degree. Source, source, source was rammed into our brains. In the old days, paper sources. Say how, NLS's own many, many typed curled pages sitting on the shelf in your studio. How Jay say online was used a lot, but I never found out who Jay was. He had a British accent. <laughs> he had a British accent. He was Jay. This is before the wonderful Forvo with its recorded native pronunciations, but it also had a distorted audio quality. I really love that we can now use Forvo as a source in the lurch, but two people can listen to the same recording and one will say, I heard a circumflex O, and the other will say, short O, and the third will walk into the room and say, long O, definitely. These were the days when we could all be in a large resource room together, thumbing through dusty paper dictionaries. I, I really miss those days. I, I, I don't like all this isolation. <laughs> I like to see my colleagues and talk to them in a narrow hallway without worrying I'm too close to them. 
But seriously, I loved all those preferred sources. I never spent so much, much time with so many dictionaries until I worked at APH. The Random House, Webster's, the Geo. I never knew there were so many places or that it is Be- Beaufort. No, no, it's Beaufort. See, I always get this wrong. It's Beaufort in South Carolina, but <laughs> I did it again. It's Beaufort in South Carolina, but Beaufort in North Carolina. The bio, uh, one of our former studio directors used to call the bio the dictionary of dead white men. They were not altogether wrong. <laughs> but, you know, you go through the bio and you look at a, a British name like, well, it, it looks like Chamondley, but it's really pronounced Chumley, or uh, Featherstone Hall, which is really pronounced Fanshawe. And this is the sort of thing you would never know if you weren't an audiobook narrator, maybe, or spent a lot of time poring over these dictionaries. Uh, also, uh, it's only Beauchamp if you're in France. In England, it's Beecham. <laughs> we had so many uh, resources, you know, in our large resource room. We still do, but they're we we're in there one at a time, maybe, and because of the uh, advancements and all the info on the internet, we don't use those sources as much as we used to. But uh, there's a whole list uh, outside the Webster's and the uh, Random House. There's the Longman's or the Gaz, as it is affectionately known. If you can't find the pronunciation of a place in the Columbia Gazetteer, it doesn't exist or is in a part of the world that unfortunately nobody spends much time thinking about. There was the PDPN, which is the Pronouncing Dictionary of Proper Names, the Chambers, the Unger's Bible Dictionary, the Dorland's Medical Dictionary. I really, really didn't know so many different dictionaries exist. Looking for a solid, approved source was like a treasure hunt sometimes. And that's what I love about the verbal challenges of being a narrator, especially in regard to the pronunciation of foreign words. I had only two years of high school French, but I was often required to pronounce more than just a few foreign words here and there in languages I had no experience with, or even hard to find pronunciation guides in, for example, Native American tribal languages. I once did a large biography of Irene Nemirovsky, a Russian-French writer. The biography included many of her writings and took me about six to eight weeks. Many lengthy poems were all in French. There was so much French in that book that a few weeks in, I noticed I was having a growing pain in my upper neck, my jaw, and the back of my tongue. It was getting worse, and I was starting to be really worried. And then I realized it was from the constant pulling back of the tongue required by French. My tongue was sore at the back a deep muscle soreness. That's how much French was in that book. A couple of years after that, I got to narrate a collection of her stories called Dimanche, which was really, really good. You should check it out. Being a narrator for NLS requires extreme adaptability because you could be reading a nonfiction account of the history of computers one week, which I did, and I can't remember the title, but it was an amazing book about, pretty short, about how Uh, the silk manufacturers in France, the idea, the way they would program the looms essentially with these punched cards were the basis for all computer knowledge (laughs) going up to IBM. It was really fascinating. 
But then uh, I might be reading something like that one week, and the next week I'd be reading a teen dystopian novel. So it helped to be light on your feet. <laughs> you know, in theater you get, you know, four weeks of rehearsal and then hopefully f- at least four weeks of a run of a play. But uh, we're transferring material. Tree, biography, autobiography, cookbooks, histories, and on and on and on. The thrill for me is the variety of material. By now, you can imagine that I loved, loved, loved doing those uh, story collections like the Pushcart Prize and uh, the science fiction collections edited by Gardner Dozois. I I didn't even like science fiction before I started (laughs) narrating books, but I I came to like it. And I really liked to be able to do uh, those massive story collections. The variety is what I love. I've always been a put-me-in-coach-I'm-ready-to-play type narrator and general employee. I like to keep busy. I like to be challenged and to be shoved out of my comfort zone. And I do have to be shoved sometimes. But back to those colorful hoops we jump through for NLS. I personally love the precision of them. Even though I make mistakes and my brain and tongue often want to flaunt them, Thank goodness I have a minder in the form of a hard-working editor, used to be called Monitor, who has to listen to me for two hours at a time and correct me with the push of a button. I actually polled my coworkers about pronunciations required by NLS at one time or another and hearing complaints over the years and seeing those correction sheets written up by proofreaders, I thought there would be a lot more. Turns out it is odd little things that get our heads shaking. The rest is grudging respect for the standards. Grudging only in that we as narrators at APH lose income on corrections, which is why it helps to follow the rules. Teensy regional variations of pronunciations like not being aware in your own speech that you insert an SH sound in the word grocery, grocery or grocer, or adding the hard G in coat hanger. Coat hanger instead of coat hanger. We do that in the South a lot. Were it not for me stumbling into a performing, a performing arts high school at 15 and trying to iron out my Kentucky blue-collar childhood, you might hear me say, geez, Manise, throw the ball. We said throw when we were children. <laughs> throw the ball. Throw the ball. We, I don't know if we didn't know there was an R in there or that's just how everybody said it, so that's how we said it. Naturally, at APH, we try to follow the standards, rules, and preferences to a T. But it is always a battle between the preference, the vernacular, narrator, editor, proofreader-specific quirks, regional differences in pronunciation, and what our approved sources say. For example, you don't say Chartres Street in New Orleans. It's Charters there. It's Charters Street. At one time, the NLS preference for New Orleans was New Orleans. NOLA holds a bevy of examples of local indigenous pronunciation examples. And in our closing announcements at APH, I stick to my hometown guns and say Louisville, Kentucky, instead of Louisville. I do not live in Louisville. I live in Louisville. Something tells me I'll be getting corrections on that now. (laughs) You see where I'm going. There are preferred pronunciations, man-on-the-street pronunciations, and proper pronunciations, which is what we strive for, absolutely. 
That doesn't mean we are not annoyed by certain NLS preferences or random house absolutes. Here are a few which my coworkers suggested I include. It is angst, not angst. And we have plenty of angst going around these days, right? Uh, this is one that always makes our skin crawl, but it's the absolute definition. The word is secreted. Ew. <laughs> Never secreted. It's secreted. <laughs> it is an old-timey and what sounds like chiefly British frequented, not frequented. <laughs> Even though you usually say, you, I think you can say you frequent a place, but you have to say frequented. Same with the used-to-be-preferred and correct short-lived, not short-lived, although I think we can get away with that one now. Only wine and cheese are aged. Persons are aged, although the dictionary may offer more wiggle room on that, too. What if you are speaking of an aged feature of a person, like their hands? This is the kind of thing that, to this day, we will stop and check and mull over. Cows do not low, they low. And yet when speaking of a stormy sky, it is lowering, not lowering. One can be bowed or bowed. It depends on the circumstance, and definitions can be very tricky. To bend like a bow is usually bowed. Check out definitions for bow and bow. They're very, very flexible. It can be bowline or chiefly bowline. Once I learned all those nautical terms, my inner word snob would rise like the swell of the sea. Coxon, bosun, folksel. We have a great music, arts, and activism festival here called the Folksel Festival. But if I ever called it that, I'd have a small batch beer dumped on my head. Maybe it's because talking books have been around so long that we are still in a shift from more staid rules to acknowledging how language changes so very, very quickly. The preference used to be, for example, for the top of your head, face, forehead, not forehead. <laughs> to me, forehead sounds Victorian. What if I'm narrating a contemporary teen novel? Do I move between the two, depending on the material? This brings in another NLS rule. If you can't be correct, be consistent, so you don't drive the listener crazy. It took me a few years to realize that when my editor, used to be called Monitors, would say, this is the NLS preference to correct me, it was more likely the Monitor editor's preference to keep track of the pronunciation among the various narrators they work with for the sake of consistency. Here's one that I really couldn't believe. Uh, we used to have to say, to describe a frown, a grimace. <laughs> grimace. I have a grimace on my face. But now we can grimace and often do. When we weren't wearing a harsh grimace, we were learning how to laugh while counting. Annoying rule to laugh while capturing the exact number of ha's. <laughs> Now I wonder if we were being had. How about the writer just writes, she laughed. <laughs> Did any other studio have to count ha's? Do you know how difficult it is to recreate a natural laugh, bearing in mind the exact number of ha's? It's not funny. 
Another curious rule is no singing. I assume this is because not every narrator can carry a tune. <laughs> but have you ever tried to speak the happy birthday song? I can't count the times I have had to. And it is not a happy experience. Try it sometime. Novels do sometimes include a verse of classic songs or popular music, and we have to speak them. The rule is no singing. I'm aware that certain narrators of cloud or studios that don't mind flouting the rule probably get away with singing, but I always follow the rule. Something about my Catholic upbringing, I'm sure. Following the rules. Well, one, one time. One time, and I can't even remember the title of the book or the author. But a car horn was described as sounding the refrain of Smokey Robinson's ooh, 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 baby, baby. <laughs> just the ooze. And it was comical. Every time this car slunk by, and I just could not, not sing it. So if you happen upon that book, you will hear me singing ooh, every time the car makes an appearance. Like most rules, they are all there to protect us to keep production running smoothly, lessen potential corrections, and head off any rejections at the pass. I've been narrating for 19 years, and the work has changed in many ways. I am still narrating for NLS one recording session four days a week. I still would like more work, and I hope I will be doing it for many years to come. In my third chapter, to ensure I have healthcare coverage, I am now working in childcare, and I can tell you with absolute certainty that human beings need rules, routine, flexibility, and room to grow and change. But they also need occasional expressions of rebellion to coax the old timers to stretch out of their set ways and get with the changing times. Adaptability for young and old is now a life rule, no doubt about it. Being an NLS narrator has definitely shaped me and my language, and I would not trade the experience for anything in the world. Thank all of you for being such voracious readers. Thanks, Aaron. And we're going to um, allow some time for questions. If you have questions, I should have said this earlier. I apologize. Please email them to questions at acb.org. And please, in the subject line, put question four. And who the question is for, don't put part of the question in the subject line. That gets confusing. <clears throat> so questions at acb.org. And I'm going to start with my question, since I have the microphone. Erin, when did you start with APH? And was there a particular narrator that kind of was a mentor for you? I started in uh, 2001. And a uh, mentor would have to be Mitzi Friedlander. <laughs> mm. She was uh, loved talking about her work. And she'd been, by the time I got there, she'd already been doing it 30 years or more. And uh, you could ask her anything. And in almost any situation, she'd have an answer for you. Um, there were, uh, it, it's really hard actually to connect with each other. Uh, the studios are, you know, there's many, there's 11 total studios, but the bulk of them, uh, eight of them are off of a narrow hallway, and we, uh, you know, go into our little boxes and do our thing. So it, it really, some, except for the research room where we used to congregate, which was like our 
break room, essentially. Everybody spent time in the research room. Uh, there's not actually a lot of places to stop and, um, you know, one-on-one have a conversation with people and everybody usually has other things they have to rush off to. So uh, it was always great to have Mitzi or anybody, you know, give you advice. I know uh, when I first started, I, I came from a theater background and the studio director then, uh, Carol Stewart, said, said uh, that her experience was that uh, there were two types of narrators, essentially. Uh, people who came from theater who probably punched up the dialogue a bit too much but forgot about attending to the narration. And uh, then she said people in broadcast would kind of speak in very short, succinct kind of, uh, of patterns and maybe not put as much into the dialogue. And she, was, she always said somewhere between the two is a nice place to be. So I, I strive for that, you know, and, and I've changed. My voice has changed just physically. My voice has changed over the years, but um, my, I'm sure my delivery has changed. And, and really now it seems like the audiobook world is changing in general. Um, I think there's a lot more. And I, I've had feedback from different people over the years how they feel about uh, they don't want you to overdo it because they want to be a participant the way anybody would reading a book that you're filling in some of the information in your own mind. Um, but it seems like the commercial world is really kind of moving more towards um, really acting out audiobooks. They'll even have, you know, multiple narrators for books and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's, it does seem like it's changing. Um, the great thing about the job, at least I think, because I love variety is uh it's not one job. I mean, every book is a different job. So you're really adjusting to whatever material you're reading. And Aaron, that kind of brings me, this is Janet, that kind of brings me to one of the questions that I received uh, for you from Sean Thiel from Ohio. And he wants to know, when narrating, what strategies do you use to keep laughter or strong emotions that you might feel um, from to allow from your voice to allow the reader to experience the emotions usually um you first of all you have to have a little restraint you know i'm I'm right in someone's ears so uh you can't you know when it, when a character's screaming that's all mic technique you know pulling back from the mic a little bit um i i try to keep myself as plugged in as much to the material and let myself um experience things while I'm reading the book. Uh, I haven't had anyone uh, come to me and say, that's not the way to do it. <laughs> so I, I guess I keep doing it that way. <laughs> but um, I just try to keep myself connected and plugged into the material so that I, um, you know, when a, when a listener or a reader is reading a book, they're feeling things as they happen. And um So I really just try to keep myself plugged in while keeping the technical considerations in mind. Um, You know, there's ways to put a laugh into your voice, you know, same as, same as tears into your voice. But again, I I do worry about overdoing it, you know, and I'm sure I'm guilty of overdoing it coming from a theater background. (laughs) So then I've had several people who have asked, and you answered this a little bit, but A, what your favorite book was that you ever narrated and what your favorite genre of books is. And I've also had people ask what you like to read personally for, you know, uh, when you're reading your own. Yeah. It'd be 
so hard to to choose a favorite book. Uh, I, strangely enough, because I I love reading fiction. You know, I I, I love some beautiful wordplay and you know really characters that just kind of stop your heart and you connect with. But I read a biography of um, Catherine the Great that. I, and I think maybe that's because I like books that educate me. So I feel like, well, I'm doing my work, but I'm also getting a benefit from this. Um, Massey is the name of the author. It was a while ago now. Um, and then I also loved a book by Ann Paget. This is a fiction uh, book called uh, A State of Wonder. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just was really impacted by that book. Uh, but there are so many. I, I have been so surprised over my career how much – the uh, YA stuff can be so well written, um, and and I'm not just talking about the teen dystopian genre, which obviously I've read a lot of that. But uh, lesser known, lesser known YA work, you'll be like, this is finely written, and and, and the characters are so, you know, not one dimensional. Um, so I've always been pleasantly surprised by the YA stuff. And um, in my personal life, uh, because I read so much fiction at APH, I do like to read uh, nonfiction, history, and poetry. Although I have, I've got to do, I have been able to do some poetry at at APH. And, but I and think it's. We have to, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's okay. That's all right. I was just going to ask if we have time for one more question because more Jessica question. Yes. had a great question, and she wants to know how does a young person pursue getting involved in narrating? Well, there's actually all kinds of uh, ways to do it now. There's a couple of different uh, services. There's one called uh, the Audiobook Creation Exchange, uh, which um, just has explains the whole process of, of auditioning and trying to record a book. It connects authors with uh, people who want to narrate books. Now, most professionals don't go through that way, but for someone who's just starting out, it's a great way to get experience and maybe even a little money. Sometimes there's a royalty share involved. Sometimes there's a per production price involved, but it's called audiobook creation exchange. And, um, you know, you learn on your feet. Uh, and other than that, I would say uh, if you have any local areas where there's possibility to narrate for the blind, that's a great, obviously a great place to start. <laughs> you know, there's just so much, uh, opportunity there, but uh, much more now online. I, I'm, I'm sure that ACX is not the only, that's like this second cousin of Audible. Uh, when you produce for them, the books are released through Audible, but um, I'm sure there are many more. I think there's a service called Find A Way, which is also another um, audiobook producing online service. Thank you, Erin, so much for coming and speaking to us today. Um, we always love this portion of the convention program, and it's so much fun to get to meet you in person and hear from you. If uh, you didn't have your question answered, um, come back at 1.30 to the Library Users of America presentation. You'll get to have more one-on-one conversation with Erin, and you might get your question answered there. So, Erin, thank you so much for joining us. It's just thank you really awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for including me. Next on our agenda, <clears throat> you know, I used to think when I thought Hadley, I thought, uh, well, you know, there's courses you can take and 
all this really cool stuff that you could do to um, increase your education and work towards degrees. And that was all really great. But I got really excited when Hadley started having um, podcasts. They've done some amazing podcasts that have just been really fun and exciting to participate in. And today to talk to us a little bit about the Hadley Institute for the Blind and um, Vision Impaired from Winnetka, Illinois, please welcome Hadley President Julie Tai. Welcome, Julie. Thank you. Thank you, Denise. Hello, everybody. Um, thank you for having me. It's nice to be here. I don't know what the schedule is for today, but I'm guessing that lunch is up next. Um, so <laughs> I um, imagine you're, you'll be eager to, to, to get uh, some, some food. So I'll try to make this um, stick within the time frame and um, get going. So we, um, we really have sort of reinvented Hadley. Um, uh, it's been exactly one week now since we've launched our brand new platform. And uh, this is the culmination of about three years of research um, and effort to understand the needs of the people that we serve. <clears throat> And when we began this process um, uh, about three years ago, what we realized is a couple of things. One is that we really weren't engaging with our, with our students. We now call them learners. Um, our, our model of, of teaching was very pedagogical, very based in how kids learn. Uh, and we don't teach kids. We, we, we help adults. So we needed to learn more about how, how do adults learn. Um, and more importantly, how do they learn from a distance? So we, we looked at best practices in adult learning, best practices in distance learning. And what you'll see, um, I'll take you a bit to the website, to, to the platform. You'll see that we incorporated many of those elements into what we do now. But more importantly, what we discovered is that we really weren't drawing um, from the, the population that really now needs us the most, which are older adults who are new to vision loss. Um, as a result of age-related <clears throat> um, diseases such as MACD, diabetic retinopathy, um, et cetera. Um, so we wanted to reach that population. Um, and I just I do have to say this is not um, at the expense of the population we've all, always served. This is a, a both-and situation. It's not a zero-sum game. Uh, so we're looking to, to broaden our impact. And again, aiming for that, that older individual. The... Um, what we really wanted to do was provide very, very practical help for people who are, who are new to vision loss. Um, so you'll see as I take you through the platform um, and, um, how we're doing that. And Denise, thank you for um, mentioning the podcasts. Um, um, and we also have a series of discussion groups. And we have a, about 10 discussion groups every month on different topic areas from gardening to cooking, writing, use of technology. Uh, what we heard when we started really listening to our learners is that not only do they want to connect with Hadley, they want to connect with each other. Um, so we put in a lot of effort to, to help make that happen through these discussion groups in particular. Uh, and all of, the, all of the discussion groups and the podcasts um, are housed on the website. Um, there are also transcripts and audio files that are available so that they're permanently you can go in at any time and, and take a look. So if I may, I'd like to um, share my screen. Is that possible? Do I have permission to do that? It looks like I might. Yep. Go ahead. All righty. Um, 
So for those of you who can see your, the screen, and, and I will describe this, um, what you'll see is a, a site that is does not have clutter. We really want to make this as appealing and visual as possible. Can somebody give me feedback? Are you seeing the screen right now? I'm actually going to, here we go. All right, why is this not working? Okay, there we go. There we go. I'm not used to seeing that little share button. There you go. There we go, okie doke. So we wanted to make this as clean as possible. There's very little um, text on the screen, but there is an image of uh, an older woman. She's African-American, she has white curly hair, and she's grinning uh, broadly. And the reason we wanted to put that image up here is that we wanted older adults who come to the site to um, see themselves in, in that image. And that's exactly the feedback we got. People said, oh, I, I can relate to her. She looks capable. Um, by seeing her image, I, I think that there probably is something here for me at Hadley. And then the tagline on the site is expand your sites, learn, connect, thrive. Um, and we, we wanted to have a message of hope. Um, and with the feedback we got is that we did, did achieve that. The, um, there's very little opportunity to navigate around the site at the beginning. Um, we give you just really one option, and that is to get started. So when one presses the Get Started button, the first um, page that comes up is give, it gives you the ability to choose your contrast. So black on white, white on black, yellow on black, and yellow on blue. And I'm gonna click on the yellow on blue, and you'll see that the contrast changes immediately. Uh, the next page gives you the opportunity to change your fonts, font size. And when we tested this uh, with older adults, almost everybody chose the largest size. So you'll see the screen now changes immediately to what to your preferences. So then we ask you, what would you like to learn today? There are four topic areas here, daily living, technology, working, and Braille. So I'm going to click on the daily living uh, button. And again, you'll see right away a go to results button. So when we click on that, a series of uh, workshops appears. Um, so the first one that comes up is safety basics series. There's a cooking series, labeling, organizing your closet, how to stay connected, cleaning your home, um, organizing your home, makeup. So there's personal men's care um, and women's care. And I'm just going to go scroll back up here and click on the Safety Basics series. So in this series, there are three workshops, how to build an emergency contact list, how to put together a disaster kit, and then just some basic fire safety. So I'm gonna click on the, the disaster kit. It seems appropriate this time. And then what you see comes up is a big button that says play sample. So right away, you know that this isn't gonna be the full content, um, but you're gonna get a, a, a glimpse. And I'm gonna go ahead and Play that. Imagine waking up to the sound of a siren, an alarm on your mobile phone, a police officer banging on your door, a fire, a storm, or a flood is heading your way, and you have to get out fast. You don't have time to think, and you certainly don't have time to plan. You only have time to grab a few items as you rush to evacuate. Now, what you take with you can make a huge difference in your safety and even your chances of survival. 
For many of us, our evacuation supplies are all over the place, and the chances of finding and packing. All right, so I'm going to stop it here because we we don't have a lot of time. Um, but this is a this section is about two minutes long. Um, at the one minute mark, we go away from the video, and it it transfers um, to a video and audio of Ed Haynes, our chief um, professional officer, chief program officer, um, introducing you to Hadley. and And at that point, in order to proceed with the site, we do ask you to sign up. So we just want your email address, your name. Uh, your relationship to vision loss, and how you heard about Hadley. So we'll be able to capture a lot more information about who's coming to Hadley. But now you'll see is, um, as I scroll down, um, there is a button to get the transcript for this particular workshop, as well as additional resources that you can access. And pretty much every workshop has both of those, those um, options. And then you'll see, as you continue to scroll down, ask the experts we have six um, learning experts who work in, the, in our independent living um, module, um, and you have the opportunity to interact with them. You can do that in three ways. Um, you can call them uh, by phone, uh, you can send an email, or you may have noticed this help button on every screen. You can actually send a chat. You can chat with an expert. So that's available five days a week from uh, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. Central Time. So you can navigate this site completely on your own if you want to, or you can, um, you can interact with an expert completely up to you. So I'm going to close this. I'm going to go back um, because I'm really excited. In fact, I'm going to log in so that I can take you to um, really excited about what we did with the Braille workshops. Um, so right now we have... Um, a Braille, basic Braille by sight, a reading series, and a writing series. So these are obviously for visual learners, so family members of people um, who um, are blind or professionals. Um, and this, the, this series is different from the instructional video because this is actually interactive. So there are eight workshops in the reading series, and we literally just break it down by letters, numbers. Um, first workshop is letters A through J. Hadley presents Basic Braille, letters A through J. This is the Braille cell. It has six dots. Letters are formed using combinations of these dots. This is A, dot one. Select the dot for A. So now you see you actually interact with the, um, with the work. Yes, this is the letter A. Um, we've, we've built in some gamification and the feedback that we get is that people really like this. For those of you who may have taken our original introduction to Braille course, you might remember that that took like six to nine months to complete. And in fact, most people never did complete it. Um, and it, there were about 26 pages of text before you even got to your first letter. Here, you can jump in right away. And for folks who are motivated enough, you can get, you can learn basic Braille in a weekend. Um, so very, very accessible, very manageable. Um, and we're excited about, about rolling this out. Um, we, our goal is to, is to reach more people and increase Braille literacy in the country. Um, so many times as I showed this to people along the way, um, I heard people say, you know, I, I started learning Braille, but I stopped. Now I can go back and, and learn it um, on my own. So we're really happy about that. Um, 
So as I said, um, please take a look, go to the site, hadley.edu. It's a very different experience than what you might've been used to. And, um, and give us feedback. Tell us what works, tell us what doesn't work. Um, and you'll see as you go to a workshop, when you complete a workshop, a feedback button pops up right away. So I have like one minute left. I'm sorry I didn't leave a lot of room for questions. <laughs> Did we get any questions? All the audio now on mute. Uh, sorry, had to, yeah, I do have one question about your technology classes. So basically, I'll just, in, in conclusion, you can mention this. Phil from Georgia wanted to know about the number of technology classes you have and if you're planning on adding in additional classes. We have, um, I can't even tell you the number, um, but it's, it's, certainly close to 100, if not more. And yes, we will continue to add um, as technology changes and expands. Um, we're hoping to do a series on smart homes um, to, to help educate people on how to use smart devices um, to navigate. Um, and not only are, the, are there course or, um, workshops in technology, but there's a monthly discussion group for technology. Um, and we do have a couple of podcasts that that address it so you know and when you click on when you go to the site and you click on a topic area um all of those di different uh media will will pop up thank you for asking that great great question thank you so much julie for joining us today and sharing <clears throat> what's going on at hadley and if you've not been to their website go out and take a look i think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what you will find up there so thank you so much, Julie, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Please stay safe. Absolutely. Bye-bye. The next topic on our agenda is something that's near and dear to me um, because a lot of my working career was working in the field of ADA, um, getting to do training and providing technical assistance on the ADA, and really being able to help <clears throat> businesses and employers and people with disabilities know their rights and responsibilities under the ADA. And we've seen a lot of things happen in the last several years. This is the 20th anniversary of, I mean, the 30th anniversary of the ADA. And to talk to us a little bit more about that, I'd like to introduce um, someone we know and is near and dear to all of us, Paul Edwards from Miami, Florida and Chris Bell from Pittsburgh, North Carolina. Paul and Chris, talk to us about the ADA. Hi, my name is Chris Bell, and I've been an ACP member for over 40 years. And it was my honor and privilege to have the opportunity to actually help to draft the Americans with Disabilities Act as an attorney. I also had the opportunity to oversee the development of the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission ADA employment law regulations, and the technical assistance manual. So I'd like to tell you what I think is most important about this 30-year anniversary of the ADA. Number one is the title of the law, the Americans with Disabilities Act. So here we're talking about Americans. We're proud Americans, right? There's no diminution here. And we're not you know, disabled Americans, we're Americans with disabilities. So our disabilities are simply one piece of who we are, but we are whole and proud and people with disabilities. Second point I want to make is this. It's very hard to write a law which 
prohibits discrimination on the basis of disability, but permits discrimination on the basis of ability. And so what we had to do in order to build in things like reasonable accommodation is we had to get away from the medical model. And the medical model says that our problems with getting work and going about our daily lives are our medical conditions. We are defective, diseased, and that those are the barriers that we face. And they're not the responsibility of society because there simply are bad luck. And what had to be done to make the ADA possible is to shift the paradigm away from the medical model into the social context model. The social context model says, for example, if you're a person who uses a wheelchair and you're sitting at the bottom of a flight of stairs, which you have to somehow travel up to to get to the human resources department to apply for a job, your problem is not that you're in a wheelchair. Your problem is that the employer has chosen the only option to get to the second floor being stairs. That was a choice of society. And the ADA is there to say, just because society has made one choice, we have other options that we can require society to undertake in order that we have an equal opportunity. Let me turn it over to my good friend, Paul. Hi, I'm Paul Edwards, and I'm immensely less qualified than Chris is uh, to be talking about the Americans with Disabilities Act. But I want to make a point that actually extends from Chris's. And I want to talk about the preamble to the Americans with Disabilities Act, because what it essentially says is that folks who are disabled have been discriminated against by our society. It says that our civil rights have been violated. It says that um, it says that we're, we're not giving mater- given materials in, in, in appropriate formats. It says that local governments don't care about us. It says that, uh, that for years, housing discrimination has happened. And the bottom line of all of that is suddenly, instead of being the victims, instead of being inferior, what we become is justified because society has treated us inappropriately. And one of the things about the ADA, then, it seems to me, is that once you open that Pandora's box, once you say to people with disabilities, you know what, you're okay, and you know what, it's not your fault, it's society's fault, then you can't put that back in the box. And so you have liberated and created opportunities for folks who are disabled, which didn't exist before. And that's exciting and still something to celebrate with the ADA. Chris? Thanks, Paul. And I certainly agree with that. And understand that the ADA uh, requires an employer to make accommodations for a person with a disability, including providing assistive technology or modifying work schedules, etc. And other parts of the ADA allow uh, people with disabilities, including us folks who are blind or have low vision, to, for example, go into a retail store and, and ask for help, which they're obliged to give us so that we can help select, let's say, clothing we want to buy or help to find a taped book 
And if we go into a restaurant, we're entitled to have a waiter read us the menu. We're not necessarily entitled to have a braille menu, but we're certainly entitled to have somebody read us the menu. So there are many things that the ABA requires that enables us to take part fully in society because the ADA requires society to make changes to make that possible. I think one of the other things that that has been important with regard to the ADA is that it has required groups, particularly those in state and local governments, to get training. I think it's really important for folks without disabilities to come into contact with and to understand better the needs of people with disabilities. And because training happens, uh, because uh, individuals are required to look at the lives of people with disabilities, um, particularly under Title One and Two of the Americans with Disabilities Act, they get a better notion of who we are, and I think get a better understanding of what disability is like, and it doesn't become quite as scary as it is be- as it was before. Chris, right, and then the piece that that. The ADA builds upon, to your point, is the fact that in 1975, Congress passed a law that requires the integration of students with disabilities into the mainstream and to provide us with a free, appropriate public education. When I was six years old in 1957, my first grade teacher refused to teach me to read because she said I didn't see well enough and I never amount to anything. So my mother taught me to read, right? Now, or since 1975, disabled students have been with other students. And so there is familiarity, there is more comfort, there is more interaction. And that makes the whole process that the ADA promises much more possible because without that interaction, we just remain separate and unequal. I think another factor we should celebrate about the ADA is is the fact that uh, because of the ADA, we have suddenly gotten attention from the media. Now, some of that attention has not been good, and sometimes the media has focused on things about the ADA that were outrageous and extreme. And they haven't done a good job, I think, of characterizing the real problems that the ADA was intended to solve. But what I think they did do was to create a situation where when things got extreme, there were either court decisions or actual changes in the law, which made the ADA more appropriate and apply to recognize that the law in terms uh, it has created opportunities for the ADA in, in courts of law because of altered over the last 30 years. That's true, but it also means that we have an obligation as people who are blind, the people who have low vision, to take advantage of the law, to use the law. We think we have been discriminated against in violation of the ADA. We need to step up. We need to file a complaint. You can file a complaint with the government at no cost. But unless we exercise our rights, unless we use them, we'll lose them. Now, the ADA is 52 pages in length, but it's also we apply it to our lives. 
out of out of this whole presentation. I think what has tended to, to happen with who are blind, sight of the ADA, we either take it for granted, or ADA does pre for us because it's not dressed and then making changes as laws in other countries are. It is driven by complaints, and the the only way you get to become better and continue to demand what you have as a right is know what the ADA and then and ask for every single make certain to continue asking until you get what you're supposed to have. All right. Well, thanks very much, Paul and Chris, for that presentation. Please. Because um, now we're going to talk about another one. And then I remember when this group was special interest affiliate and um, they have grown a lot and done a lot in the last 20 years. It's the anniversary of Blind Pride International. Please help me welcome Gabriel. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Denise. And uh, go to the world in this path to the future. So excited to be here. Um, as you well, well said, 2020. 20. <laughs> 2020 marks the 20th anniversary of the incorporation of uh, Blind LGBT Pride International as a special interest affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. Uh, uh, we were not always known by that name. Back in the year 2000, started off as B-Flag. We've been through so much. Um, I want to share with everyone here that the organization started primarily from the membership as Everything in ACB happens. Uh, we all know we are a grassroots organization, and we honor the decisions and uh, the will of our members. So a group of uh, very, very visionary uh, folks got together close to 1996, towards 1999, and started having informal meetings and uh, decided that it was a um, petition, a status of special interest affiliate to represent those of us who are blind or visually impaired and part of the LGBTQ community. So that in the year and um, in the course of the past 20 years, uh, had um, close to the year 2008 through 2010 and uh, using people. And um, at the beginning, uh, nonprofit, we, we struggled. There was uh, a lot of uh, there was uh, there was a lot of forces pulling in different directions, uh, both inside of B flag and uh, at the ACB community at large. As we all know, change sometimes is difficult, uh, sometimes more difficult to some than to others. But finally, we um, got past those difficult times, and uh, we demonstrated. We have been demonstrating that we are more than just a social group. We are definitely uh, incorporated and we like to add value to ACB. Some of the things that we've been working on in most recent years has been uh, diversity. We uh, love and embrace diversity and we have uh, made sure that we represent every single letter of the LGBTQ acronym. Uh, we have uh, made it a point to incorporate women. We have a lot of women in positions of leadership within BPI. And um, not only that, but we also love to share with everyone and let everyone know that BPI is not only a home for those of us who are blind and visually impaired and members of the LGBTQ community, 
but we love our allies. Allies are a huge part of BPI. And uh, we have allies in our board of directors. We have allies in our membership. And allies are just uh, a part of our family. Uh, we, as you know, the motto in the LGBTQ community, the rainbow, we truly believe that that rainbow represents the diversity of BPI, where we're each different. We, have, we represent a color, or maybe not. But the importance of the rainbow is that we coexist and uh, next to each other, we support each other and, you know, take a color away and then there's no rainbow. So that's what BPI stands for. Uh, BPI is proud to celebrate 20 years of being part of the ACB family. We look forward to many more. As some of you may know, um, this year was uh, just going to explode with a lot of uh, activity in Schomburg with uh, BPI's 20th anniversary. We were having an amazing mixer. We had secured partnerships and uh, we had also secured alliances with local businesses and local groups, uh, both in the LGBT community and in the blindness field, um, wine companies, yoga studios, and all the fun and educational stuff that we do. Of course, that had to be transferred into a virtual format. We're still uh, doing lots of those things. We're still missing that physical contact like everyone else, that hug, that handshake, that drink after uh, the workshops, meetings, general session. Um, but we are here in spirit and uh, we are connected. We do believe that this has been a great uh, step in this path to the future. We do believe that uh, BPI is growing. Um, we have a a, a big presence also right now in ACB radio, even outside conventions. So join us for Pride Connection, our new show, where we cover topics ranging from every interest, from LGBT to blindness to everyday to technology, accessibility. And uh, we are working with our parent organization. We are very happy to work with our parent organization in so many other projects, advocacy. Uh, the leadership of BPI uh, is is very happy to be a part of ACB and to bring forth so many important discussions. We've been uh, well-received with our latest discussion regarding inclusive language and pronoun usage. So these are some of the signs that I wanted to share with you today so that we can get an idea of where we are and where we've been the past 20 years. And just hang in there because we have so much more to give and we are very excited to continue bringing to the table and um, we recently had uh, elections. Uh, we have, uh, you know, uh, the honor of having even more diversity in our board of directors. I was honored to be reelected for a second term as president. And I look forward not only to lead BPI into the next 20 years, but also uh, to share with my board members and with my membership and with BPI's friends and allies, all the success and all the great things we as a special interest affiliate have to offer and everything that ACB has to offer to BPI. And uh, we're, again, happy 20th anniversary to this, my home. BPI is my home as it is for many of my LGBTQ brothers and sisters. So thank you, ACB, and uh, celebrate with us. We have, last thing I want to say is we do have a happy hour celebration tomorrow. It's on the schedule. It's uh, on the registration package. It's um, 
I think it's at 7 p.m. Don't quote me. I have so many times and calendars on my calendar alerts on my phone and my different devices. Um, but try to look for it. Join us so that we can virtually clink and celebrate 20th anniversary. Look for us in Phoenix. We'll have a great presence. It's going to be 20 plus one coming of age. And look for us on the internet at www.blindlgbtpride.org. Thank you so much. Great, Gabe. Thank you so much. Now it's time for announcements. And so I know that David Trott has lots of announcements and Sandra Sermon has an announcement. So which one of you is going to go first? Hello out there in ACB land. Um, I am Sandra Sermon, Chair of International Relations for ACB. And I am here to tell you all uh, which countries were represented in our Voices from Around the World um, back on Monday. First, I want to give a shout out to my committee members, one of which happens to be Gabriel Lopez Gafardi from Florida. Then there is Oral Miller and Denise Decker from Washington, D.C., Myra Brodsky and Maria Kristich from New York. Huge shout out to Saja Kerala from Hawaii. She's one of our committee members. Um, and last but not least, uh, Sue Bowmaster from Virginia and Alan Tracy from North Carolina. Wonderful committee. Wonderful. And I'm very grateful to have all of you guys as members. So here's the, the countries that were, were represented. Sorry, guys, my mask keeps falling down. Um, the countries that were represented are as follows. The United Kingdom, Germany, Brazil, Ethiopia, Russia, and Nigeria. That concludes our um, representation of countries. Those were the countries that were represented. Thank you very much for allowing me to present. Great countries. Great representation. Okay, it, it David. changes every year. <laughs> <laughs> what else do you have to share with us today, David? All right. It's good to be with you this morning, Denise. It's still morning here, by the way. You know, we haven't got to 12 yet. Um, it's a great day to be an ACB, and it's a great day to be treasurer of ACB. The support the, that you, as members, have given us this year is just tremendous, tremendous. And a big shout-out to our auction committee and Leslie. I, I know that Dan's going to have a lot of trouble bringing Leslie back down to the ground because I'm sure she's just floating on air right now because she's so excited about the turnout. You know, the, the auction committee can do all the work in the world, though. But without you, the membership of ACB and your participation, that's what made it a success. And on behalf of ACB as your treasurer, my love and thanks goes out to you today. Thank you so much. It now, was truly inspirational, David. It was inspirational. It was. It truly was. All right, but. You know, if you didn't get the help last night or you just feel like you didn't do enough and want to help some more, we have a few ways to help you continue the work. And remember, all the money that you that you put forth goes to the help of ACB to have more community calls. The services that we bring forth to you and that you're a part of is it has to be funded. And we try to move forward each day in ACB to make sure that happens. And uh, I'll thank a few people tomorrow and talk a little bit about what they do. But today, let's get to our announcements. The human wear is still raffling off. The Q Braille XL. The tickets are $20 each. 
Every bit of that $20 goes to the American Council of the Blind to help with the projects that we have. And we want to give a special thanks to um, him for that uh, great contribution. Thank you so much. All right. Uh, The Braille Forum Raffle is still going great. You still have a little time left to participate. Remember to get in touch with the national office, and I'll give those numbers in a minute. But uh, get in touch with the national office and get your ticket today. You can buy one on your own for $50 or join up to four people for a chance to win and split the cost of the ticket. And the number for that, uh, of course, it wouldn't be where I can find it easily in my notes. David, if I can help you, I believe it's the Minneapolis office. Yeah, I, I just we, found it. It's, okay, it's gotcha. Three three two three two four two. Sorry, I moved up an announcement out this morning because of the auction, and I was looking too low. Okay, <laughs> now to one of my, of course, the Braille Forum is one of my favorites because with my friend Alan Casey, I've headed it up for many years, and but really my favorite fundraiser for ACB is MMS because it gives everyone the opportunity to participate in the ongoing activities of ACB. So again, let's talk about three, two, one. This is a great MMS year, and we hope that you will join us into becoming the 321st participant in the MMS program. MMS, you can join for as little, and notice I said as little, because if you're one of them wealthy people like our president, you know, you can put in a thousand a month if you want. But, uh, you can join for as little as $10 a month and even split that with your favorite affiliate. So join with us today. Um, you can, you can, uh, email askacbmms at gmail.com or you may call 202-743-0755. Remember three, two, one as we blast off to the future with MMS and ACB. Thank you again, and I look forward to being with you tomorrow. Thank you, David. Did we have a daily winner today? or? Oh, oh, oh yes, we do. I'm sorry. Ooh. Oh, we, we, I, I, we, oh. Don't, we want to give somebody that $100 worth of yeah. Amazon gifts. Yeah, yeah we yeah. don't want anybody well, to be upset. <laughs> you know how I am about pronouncing names. So I really couldn't yeah, he just didn't want to put himself so on the spot. <laughs> yeah, Janet can help us. <laughs> uh, the winner is Jonathan. I'm gonna call it Ruoff. It's R U O F F. Jonathan Ruoff. And if I've got that name wrong, Jonathan, I'm sorry, but I think the hundred dollars in gift cards will make up for it. <laughs> Good job. Good job. Well, I know we might be going over just a tad bit, but. But everybody's willing to do that for door prizes. All right. And door prizes are my name. Um, Well, I don't know. We'll have to see. About $25 from Wisconsin to Jan Hawthorne from Mississippi. Oh, there you go, Jan. And how about a talking cube clock donated by Bay State Council of the Blind for Melanie, uh, I'm going to be like, David, David, no. Melanie Pesco <laughs> of Kentucky gets a talking mm-hmm. cube clock donated by Bay State. You want one more? Yeah, let's do a couple more real All quick. All right. I got a Starbucks gift certificate for $20 from Washington State going to Deb Young of Ringgold, Georgia. 
Yay. Yay. And my last one is an Andrea Superbeam headphone donated by Bay State. And that's go that goes to uh, Vijay Gupta from Springfield, Virginia. Very good. Wow. Very good. Thank you. We'll have more tomorrow. We will. Just some reminders. Um, there are a lot of great things happening this afternoon. So check your program and figure out where you can go. Um, don't forget tonight at 6 p.m. is the DKM first-timer reception. And at 7.30 is our evening with ACB. And tonight we're going to be talking about smart access in the home. So we hope that you can all join us for those events. Thank you very much for letting me um, share with you today and be your presiding officer and enjoy the rest of your convention. Wow. Thank you, Denise. Thank you, Denise. And we are on recess till tomorrow at 10.